This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Man, time's flying. Life's good. It's because spring break's coming up. Not for us. Spring break for my family is coming up. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, but you had your spring break yesterday, or Monday. It was more of a uh, 24-hour break. (laughs) Good. Well, I'm glad you're back. Um, We got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about fake news, the proliferation of fake news. How does it spread? This, this, you know, somebody can make a statement, for example, marijuana cures cancer, and that thing can spread like, cry, like crazy, and the next thing you know, everyone thinks they need to smoke weed in order to cure cancer. That's fake news. Says who? <laughs> Not true. Don't do it. And yet it spreads and it spreads, and so we'll be speaking with an expert on how that happens and how you, how you stop it. I mean, things have got to be done, otherwise... This, you know, having all the data in the world from the from the inner inner wide web, national web web does you no good. Right. You've got the the greatest tool ever in the Internet. And I think that's the technical term for it. Inner wide web, wide web, worldwide. Yeah. Dot com. So what good does it do if if all the data is wrong? We'll get to that fun. Um, Plus. Just, of course, on the show, what we try to do is give you the latest and greatest, the information you need to know to live a healthier, happier life, to actually make it happen. So we'll get to that, plus empty news, Matt Townsend news, some some news stories that you might not even know you need. And I'm sure we'll spend some time trying to cut through everything that's going on. UK officially now has triggered Brexit. Yes. It's a two-year standoff now. It's an official divorce. They're, they filed for divorce. They're divorcing. It's called Article 50. It's a great article. And it, yeah, so they'll start the process. And uh, Scotland, I believe, is looking at independence because they just want to get away from Britain and stay with the EU. Yeah. Oh, uh, do they? I, I was telling you yesterday after the show, France is – some of the candidates for their presidency are looking at uh, getting out of the euro, bringing the franc back. Yeah. So ah, the that, franc. That could cause some problems. The franc. It's it's a good monetary device. It is a great device. Have you ever noticed that if you just say those words not as an acronym but just as a word, you've got uck and ew? Oh, uh, yeah. Ew. Uck. That's a great point. Thank you for that point. Um, it's, That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. By the way, Sean Spicy Spicer, he's uh, – he took on another journalist yesterday. Yeah, he told her to stop shaking her head. Don't quit shaking your head. Like, stop rolling your eyes. She's the same journalist that uh, when President Trump had a uh, press conference, asked him if he was going to be meeting with the uh, Black Congressional Caucus. Uh, and he asked, um, could you set that up for me? <laughs> because, you know, she's black and those yeah, black yeah. people, so... Yeah, could you could you so, make that same happen? woman? Same woman. Keep, I mean, she's been. Uh, she she allegedly was accosted in the hallway by a Trump staffer saying, "We know what you were uh, talking about, and you're going to pay or but, something." But it was a different. Just, it was. It wasn't. That's not the same thing as the Corin Lewandowski 
No, no. stopping a journalist. That was, <laughs> that was Corey Lewandowski grabbed a Breitbart reporter by the arm. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah. He sure did. He did. And then stuff happened. Yeah. It got ugly. It's fun. I miss the good old days with Corey Lewandowski. They were a lot calmer back then, it seems like. What a great trio, Corey, Lou, and Dowski. That's a great law firm. Great law firm. Well, now it's a political consulting firm. Oh, is it now? Yeah, actually, it really is. Corey, Lou, and Dowski? That's what he's doing. He's moved into D.C. and he's fighting for Trump outside the administration. (laughs) Good times. Yeah. Hey, apparently, too, the Dems are going to do everything they can to stop this Gorsuch uh, vote. Yes. Do you know what their uh, reasoning is? What, what? Now, the reasoning for the Republicans to stop President Obama's appointment was that President Obama is an outgoing president. Yeah. Right? So we're not going to let an outgoing president affect the, the, the uh, shape of the, of the, the court for the next right, 30 right. years. We'll let the new elected president Let the new it. one do it. Well, now the Democrats' approach to this is now we have a president who is under investigation for ties to Russia. Oh, yeah. So we can't let him appoint something when he's, you know, he's got this other thing that's causing, you know, mm, shadow over sure. his presidency. So we'll wait till that's done. Then we'll talk about the Supreme Court. I, I, I don't think they realize that Mitch McConnell's going to have this vote on the 7th. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Yeah. It's by happening. The, by the way, President Obama was so outgoing. So outgoing. Yeah. Very uh, outwardly focused. Is that what you mean? Um, Sean Spicer, by the way, made a really interesting point. <laughs> If the president uses... Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Give me 30 seconds. We'll play it. Oh, my heavens. You don't get to tease that. Gosh, I thought it was my show for a second. It is, but just hold on a second. That's a great tease, though. You're getting ahead of the So that's the tease. We've got a really great quote coming from Sean Spicer about salad dressing. Yeah, it's great. And and Russian ties. It's epic. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, we'll get to all that fun. In fact, let's turn to the news and let Terry do his job so that he can then relax. Yes. Hit it, Terry. 32 days until the government shuts down. The House, where most of Trump's problems exist at the moment, just has 10 more days in session before the shutdown. So they're going to take some breaks and some time, and we'll figure out if we keep the government going. The Washington Post reported Tuesday that President Trump's administration apparently attempted to greatly limit the scope of former Attorney General Sally, or acting Attorney General, I guess, Sally Yates' testimony before the House Intelligence Committee on potential ties between Trump and the campaign in Russia. Letters obtained by the Washington Post reveal Yates, who Trump fired in January after she would not back his immigration executive order, was notified earlier this month at the Justice Department that uh, the administration considers a great deal of her possible testimony to be barred from discussion in congressional hearings because the topics are covered by the presidential communication privilege. The White House has since released a statement denying the Washington Post report. Sean Spicer went into the press conference yesterday saying uh, the administration has no connections to Russia, chastised the media for not believing him, and did it in the salad dressing way. You've got other things going on. You've got Russia. You've got, you've got wiretapping. You've got... No, we don't have that. I, I've said it from the day that I got here until whatever that, that there is no connection. You've got Russia. If the president puts Russian salad dressing on his salad tonight, somehow that's a Russian connection. Huh? What do you think? What dressing did he put on his salad? See, they're not telling us. I saw other people who were more surprised that possibly did the president eat a salad. We know he likes Kentucky Fried Chicken, he eats pizza. The president doesn't eat. See, that's such a spin. Yeah. Because the president doesn't eat salad. That's a nasty dressing anyway. By the way, how's your salad? Have you had a salad recently? Ooh, never again. (laughs) Uh, As that was happening, USA Today reported uh, on Tuesday, Trump and his his company and partners repeatedly turned to wealthy Russians 
with alleged ties to criminal organizations or money laundering, and oligarchs from the former Soviet republics, several allegedly connected to organized crime, for funding to keep his Trump company afloat. Wow. In the past. And that's kind of what people want to know is, is he, I mean, blackmail could happen if oh, he has yeah. any sort of debt. Oh, yeah. Well, so, yeah. Or connections. And that's what the questions that never get answered are. House Republicans voted Tuesday, Tuesday by a margin of 215 to 205 to repeal a set of privacy protections for Internet users, which was enacted under Obama's uh, administration. The measure now heads to the White House, where President Trump is expected to sign it. It's a move that could allow Internet providers to collect and sell customers' browsing history location information, and health data, among other things. Privacy advocates were obviously upset with the vote. Today's vote means that Americans will never be safe online from having their most personal details stealthily scrutinized and sold to the highest bidder, said Jeffrey Chester, executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy. Talk about blackmail. Donald Trump, by giving away our data in the country's leading phone and cable giants, is further undermining American democracy. Supporters for the move say Internet internet sites like Facebook and Twitter sell your information right now, so why shouldn't your cable or Internet company? Well, because we're friends. Right. I now, thought we were. Now, Facebook and Twitter, everyone has, you know, clicks that opt-in yeah. that no one reads, yeah. and that's where that information is. Like, we'll sell your data. And everyone, no, no one reads no it. No one reads it. We just so they're saying, why, why can't the cable and internet company have the same opportunity? Oh, just boy. treat us all the same. Oh, man. So we'll see where this goes. And finally, a new study published in Science and Nature, which found that the world's spiders, all the world's spiders, mm-hmm. consume between 400 million and 800 million tons of prey every year. Hold on. Mm. What's spider prey? <clears throat> well, spiders eat bugs and all kinds of stuff. What kind of bugs? You know, bugs. S- smaller bugs. The total adult human biomass on Earth, Ugh. so the, the weight of every human on the planet, is estimated to be 278 million tons. Wow. So all the spiders are eating 400 million to 800 million tons. Wow. Humans account for 278 million tons. So Unbelievable. Spiders could theoretically eat every single human on if the Earth within a year. If spiders turned on us, yeah. that would be a nightmare. Part of the spider's power is that it, they are everywhere. A recent study of homes in North Carolina, for example, found that 100% of homes contain spiders with 68% of bathrooms, 78% of bedrooms, and eight. Li- uh, they all have spiders. That You know what this is the greatest invention is the spider trap. Seriously. That in a shoe. Yeah, but shoes are, create goo. And then the report went on and said if you pile all the spiders in the, in the world on a scale, the terrifying swarm would weigh the equivalent of 478 Titanic ocean liners, or about 25 million tons. Wow. That's a lot of spiders. So, you know, spiders. <sighs> now you've, you've, you've freaked everyone out. Everyone's afraid. Spiders. I don't mind spiders as long as they're not on me. How many do we swallow or take into our body every year? What's that statistic? Two or three years, what they estimate. Mm. It's just extra protein. Really? Yeah. We're swallowing spiders? How many pregnant spiders do we swallow? Ooh, then then you got a little little delicacy there. It's like the caviar of the spider Those are juicy. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are making people sick. I'm sorry. Nobody swallows spiders. Not on purpose. When you're asleep and you're a mouth breather. Well, yeah. So quit breathing through your mouth. Get your nose fixed. Well. Seems pretty simple. Your ears are still exposed. Mm. I don't swallow through my ears. You just crawl in and hang out. 
Or do I? <laughs> okay, that's not good. Boy, I can't even think of anything else. Lionel Messi, uh, the soccer player from Argentina. Yes. He, he ranted at an official and they banned him for four games. Yeah. He like went off on an assistant, like kind of like a junior official. Uh, it's banned. It's not a ban. Oh, it's a ban. No, it's not a ban. <laughs> no, it's a ban. Well, your words. The, the ban right here. It says right here on the official website. It's a travel adjustment. <laughs> it's not a ban. It's a play. <laughs> it's a missed opportunity to play. In the official statement confirming its decision after the incident, which occurred as Messi featured against Chile. This is, by the way, for the cup. Uh, this pre- is World quali- Cup qualifying. Uh, qualifying. Yeah. And he's out for four match, four games. Yeah. Because, you know, which is a big deal because Argentina needs him. Right. But that's, that's a very important point. Don't yell at the officials. Hmm. Right? And don't – and remember who's in charge of the show, Jeff. What is that supposed to mean? I just don't want to ban you. Hmm. By lobbying. Tell you what. Hmm? Why don't you ban me next week? Okay. Yeah. No. Next week. Next week you get to you get to cover the show. You get to cover it, and I'll be on vacation getting a tan. But it's, it's not. A, it's, it's not a tan. It's a spray on. No, it's not a ban. It's not a tan. It's just a general oranging of your aura. <laughs> it's an aura oranging. No. Yeah. Not true. Any other headlines we need to worry about, Terry? Well, I read this yesterday in connection with our next topic about fake news. It says a new Oxford study found that a quarter of web content shared shared on Twitter by people in a key Midwest battleground state during the final days of the election was fake news. So a quarter of everything shared on Twitter in this county in the Midwest – now, I'd open it, but the Financial Times has a paywall, so I can't get the more details Thanks, to it. Thanks, Financial Times. But that's interesting. We shouldn't even be promoting them. Well, yeah, Thanks, yeah. Financial Place. Thank you, people that won't let me look at your stuff for free. So a quarter of the information in that, that one... they tweeted out... In one... County. County. Was fake news. So is that just a fake county? Because not every county would have that much fake news. No. That's just a really fake loving county and it's probably an anomaly but it's this idea that the fake news isn't it's people making up things that are just flat not true in any way just to cause confusion now but just to muddy the waters but donald trump made a really good point president trump that back in the day when he was just uh when he had just won the election he was saying fake news is everything are all those polls that you've fed everybody for years that weren't true okay because we won so if your poll's wrong and everyone's saying, I don't have a chance, and everyone is saying that, that's fake news. This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it. <laughs> yeah. So is that fake news? No. That's just bad news. Well, it's – well. It's bad. What do they call them? Bad polls. Yeah. The numbers were off. Now, the national number – Ended up being about what it needed. What it was always was that Hillary Clinton had about a two right. or three point lead, and that's where the votes ended up. Mm. But it was the local, individual counties where it was off. Yeah, but all these big CNN, all these companies were like saying, "There's he doesn't have a chance." Sure, this thing's over. Right, turn out the lights, let the fat lady sing. All those great, you know, phrases. Not fake news though. Fake news would be marijuana cures cancer. Yes. And those stories are out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're talking fake news up next. How it spreads. It's important to know 
because you know a lot of this is being done just by bots and by people in other countries that are making big money by turning fake news on and then they get paid for it we'll talk with a researcher up next stick with us this is the matt townsend show helping you see through the the junk and getting to the the good stuff in life we'll be back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in a world of fake news and alternative facts, it's hard to get the information straight. And to help us understand more about what's happening with fake news um, is uh, Dr. Giovanni Luca Ciampaia. He is uh, he's helped create the website Hoaxy in hopes of debunking fake news. Welcome to the show, Giovanni. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. This is... um, it seems like such a big issue today, and to, to really cut through on the internet to know what is true, what isn't true. First of all, will you, Giovanni, just help us understand, like, how do you define, we were talking about it earlier, what is fake news? What is fake news versus just bad reporting? Yes, that's a very good question, Matt. Um, so, um, especially over the past year, um, the, this, this term has taken a bit of a life of its own. Um, we, we, we really like more to talk about misinformation in general, and, and that encompasses terms that are probably more familiar to everyone, like hoaxes or, or um, uh, um, extreme partisanship, uh, bad reporting, as you mentioned, um, or also um, good old propaganda in a certain sense. Yeah. And, and, and so fake news kind of at a certain point came to refer to a, 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 a melting pot of all those things. But I think that the more we try to probe into it, we realize that it would be better to actually go back to, 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 to the more accurate terms. Um, but, but in a certain sense, what, what at least we, we're interested in, more, more uh, especially with Oxy, is this kind of subset of, of uh, hoaxes, of fabricated news reports that are, um, are, are circulated and are produced on social media, mostly with the only purpose of getting clicks. Because so, so, um, that's it, isn't it? It's, it's really about money, right? So if it's about clicks, it's about you know, creating fake information that they know will spread, but it, and it makes them money. Yes, and, and, and the idea is that it always, uh, there is a component about um, rumors and hearsay. It basically plays uh, upon... Um, our fears, our cognitive biases, um, also probably also plays on the algorithmic biases of these um, platforms that uh, want to or need to find uh, content that, that we like you know, in order for us to, to keep staying on Facebook or Twitter or sharing content and so on. Um, and so we started noticing um, this trend actually well before the, 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 the elections of last year, actually during in 2014, I think, during the, the Ebola epidemics in mm. West Africa. Yeah. Um, so our research actually is not, at the time was not about uh, misinformation. We're uh, here at Indiana University. We study, in general, the, the way information uh, diffuses over social media. Um, and this has important, uh, important consequences. For example, when there is a, a natural disaster, you want to understand uh, how the flow of information works, if it's efficient or if it can be improved and so on. 
or you want to understand, for example, what uh, makes a successful campaigns. For example, the the um, ice bucket challenge, uh, which yeah. you probably remember from a few years ago. And so back in 2014, uh, we 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 were looking at our data, and we noticed on Twitter this this trend. Uh, uh, of uh, fabricated news reports that were very alarmistic in tone and were all about the, the Ebola. For example, uh, uh, websites like the now defunct uh, National Report, uh, uh, I think, rose to fame by, by uh, coming out with this report about the Halloween in, in, in Dallas, Texas being cancelled, which was not true, right. or entire towns. Uh, in, in under under lockdown and so on and so forth, um, and 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 we noticed that because those those reports were were being shared widely, they, they they got a lot of traction, and especially because that website didn't exist two weeks before. Yeah. Um, and and that's the trend that we've seen now that has been exploited. Uh, I suspect probably uh, we 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 a good profit uh, by by a lot of people when it comes to all the political communication related to the campaigns and so on. So it's it really is. So what you're trying to figure out is information diffusion on the internet and cuz there's good reasons there's bad reasons that are tr- people diffuse i mean there's there's we want to know how to to you know get the information out quickly and effectively to educate we also want to make sure we're not being scammed um one of the yeah. things i guess that in your study if i'm correct talk about the study that you did where you you did a little test with mm-hmm. fake news, and then in the end, you ended up getting a check because it had it, it had proliferated. It had it had spread so well. Yes. Yeah, so this 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 was not a study made by myself actually, because this was uh, a few years ago. I think at the time I was still in high school, but by my my collaborator Filippo Mengzer, um, who, who basically back at the time I think this was in the nineties. He was in, he was he was fascinated by this phenomenon and, and he created a, a website as you said that that um, pretty much uh, uh, had, had, had fabricated gossip and he wanted to understand whether at the time I think he was in the infancy of the web how the these these financial rewards worked and he did get a check in the mail eventually because people would click and the ads would be served and and and, and that's how it works so in a certain sense Facebook and Google and the current um, 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 internet ad system is based on the idea that if people click, um, um, the, the, the advertisers will, will, will get their ads placed on the, on the page they served. And so everyone gets, like, the whole system is propelled by this. Mm. Um, that's why, for example, all these websites, these social networking websites, offer their services for free. Without, um, without, uh, and by the way, the, the, usually the rumor that Facebook will be will will uh, will require subscription fees is a classic example of something that uh, comes periodically because people never never believe that Facebook is free. But really, the business model of these websites is to is to use advertisement, and so the the people who produce what the so-called fake news, in a certain sense, just uh, take advantage of this idea because. Algorithms cannot, at this point, and probably not, not even for the foreseeable future, there's no technical solution to, to understand whether a piece of information is, is, is accurate or not. Um, and and what, 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 uh, what, these, you know, what the, the, um, the, for example, the, the recommendation algorithms that, 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 that power Facebook or Twitter and so on, 
they basically just uh, use uh, signals that are very, in a certain sense, I want to say dumb, but in, they're very simplistic. They look at whether um, you you clicked on this kind of certain stories uh, in the past. Mm. That that is a good signal of whether you're interested in these things. So these kind of signals have nothing, uh, have no understanding of what's actually in the in the news report or what's in the headline and so on. And so uh, for the people of National Report and all the other websites, um, this was perfect because they could just uh, um, uh, claim uh, any kind of thing that, that they knew was, was probably going to hit on, on, on fears and so on, and, and, and people would reshare it, and this would be picked up by, by, by the algorithm, and, and we'll think, oh, this is a very engaging type of content. Yeah, so um, it really is so, the algorithm that's doing the thinking. There wasn't a lot of human intervention. Once, once you figured out what you wanted to put up, if you wanted to put out fake news or a scam, all you had to do was was basically tease the algorithm to bite on it. In a certain sense, yes. So, of course, uh, platforms like Google, Facebook, Twitter, they they've always had, um, and as a part of their objective, the, the 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 goal of making sure that the kind of information that uh, is is um, is shared on their platform is interested, interesting, and and also, of course, abides to. To, to, to certain ground rules. Yeah, standards. A classic example is that, um, uh, for example, any, any type of, I don't know, uh, pornography is, is banned on Facebook, mm. and they do have systems, or for example, spam. The reason why uh, Facebook is, is clear of spam is because their engineers are, are, have, have developed technical solutions that are very clever, um, that make sure that, that this kind of content that is not interesting um, and is low quality in a certain sense. It's okay. kept at bay. But when it comes to fake news, when it comes to to content producer, that's this kind of gray line where 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 that's where in fact it's it's the exploitation. That, yeah. Uh, it's not uh, exactly spam. Uh, it's 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 not any kind of uh, illegitimate content and so on. But at the same time, uh, it creates problem when when it spreads, uh, propagates in an uncontrolled fashion. And especially, I guess, when it gets then picked up and almost validated by real news sources, real news companies. Uh, in, in your article, you talk about the fact that PBS NewsHour, Scientific American, The Atlantic, mm-hmm. Reuters, Australian Public Media, NPR, mm-hmm. BuzzFeed, these companies have have been trapped or caught in, you know, you know, uh, promoting fake news. And I guess really every organization could fall for it. And then, then that so, legitimizes it, right? Um, so, yes, of course, we know that the, 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 the traditional news media have in place uh, mechanisms for making sure that these kind of errors are, are, are caught. Um, so, the, for example, I don't know the New York Times or the New Yorker or or, or any or any large organizations uh, have fact checkers. And so, of course, it may happen that in, in this era where where uh, the headlines, even of the headlines of the Washington Post, start to to use more of this uh, uh, kind of language, meaning like something like, uh, "Oh, you'll never know what happened next," and so on. So yes, there is this trend also in the mainstream media to to, to try to adapt to these uh, to these new platforms. Mm. Of course, the main difference there is that when it comes to a real journalistic organizations, they 
they know that that um, accuracy in reporting is an integral part of their job. And, right. And so even of course sometimes mistakes can be can can happen. There are mechanisms there to that are put in place to make sure corrections are issued and so on. Um, but of course the broader the broader the broader issue is is when um, when the when the public starts to get informed mm. in a way that's not accurate or. When, for example, one one unintended consequence of of these uh, personalization um, uh, technologies is that, in a certain sense, we we're only fed with what we 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 want to hear, and and um, this, coupled with the increasing polarization in the American public, creates completely different uh, narratives. Oh or, yeah, these are called echo chambers, meaning that. Um, if 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 I if I start to um, uh, consume information for certain sources, well, the algorithm will basically uh, adapt my my newsfeed to that, and will only keep on, on on giving me that kind of information. I won't be exposed to to um, cross-cutting ideas to uh, what are basically like opposing poss- possibly opposing viewpoints to what I have. That in the past uh, we know in a democracy probably you need to. Uh, to be exposed to all the facts and not just to the one that you 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 happen to like. Mm. Good stuff. Uh, great lessons, Giovanni. Let's take a break. Come back. When we come back, I want to talk about the site you created, Hoaxy, um, and uh, and have you walk us through how uh, why why you created it to help us better understand uh, this spreading um, information and misinformation. Really, um, we'll get to that more on this this really, I think, difficult topic of, of fake news, of, of how it spreads and how it creates those echo chambers, those little uh, holes that we might get stuck in in our thinking and in our bias towards one another. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you become and be the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Today we're talking about fake news, and we're joined by Dr. Giovanni Luca Ciampaia. He is a uh, an assistant research scientist at the Indiana University Network Science Institute. His research interests are in emerging disciplines of network sciences and computational social science, with a particular focus on information diffusion on the Internet and social media. Uh, Giovanni, thank you again for being with us. Mm-hmm. This is... Um, to me, this I, I've been on your on the site Hoaxy. Maybe talk about what you're trying to do with Hoaxy and and how you're helping us maybe visualize the proliferation of of information. Yes. So early last year, um, we were interested in, in in this phenomenon on the on the propagation of misinformation on the internet. But we also noticed uh, another interesting phenomenon, which is the um, the, the, the diffusion of uh, accurate uh, information, meaning uh, fact-checking. So in the last few years, uh, probably you know about websites like Snopes or yeah. PolitiFact or factcheck.org, 
Um, in different countries, there's 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 a, a lot of other similar websites. Uh, UK has, uh, has one called Full Fact, for example. Um, so these are called fact-checking organizations. They are they are small, novel, and and more dynamic uh, um, media organizations than the the classic you know traditional media and so on. And they their mission is really to 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 go search for, for claims that are spreading on the internet and, and verify them and, and then issue accurate information. So we were, we were thinking, well, given that there is a lot of audience for, for, for these, for these uh, fake news claims, probably there is also quite a lot of audience for, for the, the accurate claims or their verifications. And do these people talk to each other? That was, a, that was really an interesting question to us. Um, so Oxy started as, as, a, as, a, as a system for collecting data about these two processes. What, what we do is that we, we, we track a number of websites that that fact checkers around the world as as as, in, as um, um, included in list of, of of fake news websites. Let's call them like that. Um, and we we look at any any um, any article that is that is released, any claimed, and and whether these are shared on social media. We're using Twitter in particular because for the very simple reason that they they, they give uh, access to their data for free hmm. to anyone. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we also track whether uh, Twitter users share um, share article to from 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 these fact-checking websites like Snopes and so on. And um, so we, we we were really interested in the data because in, in our research we 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 do mathematical modeling of these processes, and 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 these mathematical models uh, really need need data about um, uh, the real spread of of examples of of. Um, of misinformation and, and, and verification. So back at the time, the website did not really exist. It was really just a bunch of computer scripts running on our, on our systems. But when we realized that the phenomenon was, was becoming really big, uh, and, and, and we thought that we had been sitting on, on all this data for a long time, we, we, we thought that it would be a good idea to actually give access to internet users because um, it, it could have been could be interesting to understand to how, how this type of information and the competition between these two processes happens on social media. And so Oxy was created as a as a search engine. The the, the way it works uh, very quickly is that if you if you if you go on the website, uh, the first part will be will look very similar to what Google works like. Um, you you have a search bar. You enter a few keywords. And you can search for 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 any kind of claim that you might have heard uh, on social media recently, um, and um, and the system will return you a number of results. Now the the, the interesting part is that these results come come from these two types of sources: the the claims and and the and the verifications. So the, I want to stress that right now the website does not work in a completely automated fashion. And uh, and it really doesn't doesn't uh, read or try to understand what's what's being said on these articles. Uh, it, it just asks you actually to um, to select what you're interested in. And uh, once you select, for example, a few a, a few reports that maybe have been have been shared quite a lot on social media, you can visualize uh, uh, what we call the, the the diffusion network of information, meaning how. Um, how these claims uh, and, and the fact-checking uh, about those claims spreads uh, uh, across Twitter accounts. So as you know, on Twitter, people can retweet each other or they can mention each other, they can quote each other. Yeah. So these, these are all actions that correspond to, 
to particular memes or uh, units of information traveling from account to account. And so, and it looks like a solar system, really. I mean, it looks like you can see who's spreading it, who has the most power in on Twitter as far as spreading this idea. Yes. So you with this kind of visualizations you can you can uh, uh you can see very clearly who are the most influential accounts meaning that the ones that are retweeted a lot so whose whose content is 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 shared widely and reaches a lot of uh, um, a large audience and you can also see who are in a certain sense the targets for example if a lot of people tries to 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 push a message on on somebody's feed you will see that uh those accounts are at the center of a lot of arrows. Um, so that helps a lot, actually. We, we spoke with a lot of journalists, and they, they mentioned that um, it's very, this kind of visualizations are really useful to understand, for example, how to trace back a claim to the original, huh. um, the original creators, for example. Or you can also look how the, the real conversation is happening in, and, and, and how groups of people tend to cluster around each other and, and, and talk to each other rather than across the board. But for example, I I entered in the term just the the question Trump Russian conspiracy. I hit mm-hmm. search and just on the first page they were all claims, a lot of claims, maybe 20 claims, um but not very much fact checking. Um yes. in that first page. And so I guess is does that just say that we have a lot more people out there making claims and you know propagating claims and promoting claims than promoting fact checking? Yes, and, and this is a common problem, it's a well-known problem. Uh, Fact-checking organizations are, are media organizations like anyone else, and, and in a certain sense, they, 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 they're, they're also based on, on revenues, they're also based on the idea that uh, if, if their content is, 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 is clicked and shared, uh, they, 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 they get more profits. And so right now it's more profitable, sadly, to, to share to share misinformation, hmm. and uh, at the same time, because these are small organizations, they they're in a certain sense outnumbered by 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 the sheer volume of, of claims that are produced. So the fact checkers cannot pay attention to everything, right. um, and uh, and they need tools also to 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 prioritize their con- their 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 efforts. But like for example, on my crazy little simple search, mm-hmm. there's one there's one line that says Trump has a 4:16 a.m. mental collapse. Um, implicates Bill Clinton in Russian fraud scandal. That so it's kind of an extreme position or an extreme post anyway. But it had yeah, thirty-one yeah. tweets and six thousand Facebook shares, and yeah. it's it hasn't been validated. We don't know that it's true, and it's spreading like wildfire. Yes, correct. Unbelievable. You, you, you can find a lot of different claims. There's all kinds of claims, really. Uh, politics is, of course, these yeah. Days, oh yeah, but it could be uh, anything, a very, right? A very popular one. Yes, you, cancer uh, and, and marijuana. Uh, or, or for example, even I don't know, um, asteroid, asteroid will hit Earth uh-huh. uh, uh, next Thursday, and and those things are shared a lot. I think a few years ago, one of the early one we heard was uh, that that NASA had, had, had claimed that there would be three days uh, without gravity. Um, <laughs> for some reason, that <laughs> that was completely bogus. Uh, yeah. and, and those things are also so. Those are more probably amusing, but actually a lot of people share them. And you will find uh, fact-checking for those. Uh, so, of course, uh, one, one, one reason also why we, we wanted to collect this data is in a certain sense also understand the, the strategies that the fact-checkers use to, to prioritize their work. Yeah. So if they're, if they're, 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 um, 
um, their 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 strength in a certain sense is limited. They they must be they must make smart choices on on, on what to look for, and and maybe that's where our our our, our research can also uh, help them um, by producing tools or or give them some insight about uh, these processes. I I think it's fascinating, and I love um, that you're on this. It's helping us try to figure this out. Is we've got about a minute left, maybe two minutes. Just will you tell us what we can do? What What do you recommend to just me, the average Joe that wants that sees a story come across Facebook, and I want to know more about its its factual ability, its strength factually? Where would you suggest I go? I mean, I think hoaxy would be a great start. Um, but then what else should I do? Well, the good news is that uh, the Internet has a lot of tools that, that let you, in a certain sense, do your own homework. Uh, one, one idea, first of all, is to um, um, use search engines um, to, to, to see if um, other um, news outlets report the same story. Um, also, um, there are a number of more advanced te- tools to, if you want to, do some research about the the sources that you're seeing. I mentioned that National Report at the time had, had just uh, popped out out of the blue and 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 didn't exist before. And there are websites where where you can when you can look up when 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 a particular uh, website has been created and and so on. Uh, another um, when it comes to social media. I think uh, we we will these conversations about how to make sure that your your media and information diet is is as diverse as possible. Uh, one idea is to 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 use the unfollow feature with uh, with caution. Um, the idea is that often we we our our acquaintances maybe share information that we might find outrageous or that we don't agree with and so on. Um, and 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 many people these days. Uh, find it tempting to just say, oh, well, I'll just stop following this person. I don't want to uh, hear anything anymore. But that's actually in, in research that we're, we're working on, on studies, uh, on, on mathematical modeling studies about these processes, we're finding that the, the unfollowing feature actually is what creates even more uh, stark ego chambers because in a certain sense it seals you off. Ah. So one one ad- advice I give to 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 let's say as you said the the, the listeners uh, is what for example I don't know your your cousin or your or, or your aunt is sharing some outrageous uh, claim. Uh, one thing is not to unfollow them, but you can unfollow the actual source of the claim. Mm. So you will still keep on hearing from them, which which then also will save probably your your Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, and yeah, on. you'll still be friends. <laughs> And um, but but you would still be able to see um, points of views that not necessarily are the same as yours, and and you will, in a certain sense, still be able to 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 have a wider view on the world. Yeah, I love that idea. I didn't know you could do that, but that makes a ton of sense. Don't just unfollow the person that you you care about, you're close to, but go in and unfollow the source of their information. Um, interesting stuff. Giovanni Luca Ciampaia is his name, and again, Assistant Research Scientist at Indiana University Network uh, Science Institute. Go to his website, Hoaxy. Just look up H-O-A-X-Y, and you'll learn a lot of things. I just learned that, by the way, Earth is ranked the number one party planet. Woohoo! Number one party planet. Uh, that's from theonion.com. A trick, folks, a trick. They're playing a trick on us. 
Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, we'll be uh, talking with McKenna Baus. Baus in the house. She's got a little mind bender for us. Stick with us. Welcome to her house. She is McKenna Baus. She is here to break down things you... Baus in the house. McKenna's here with us. Uh, she likes to bring us little mind benders, little ways of making us think differently. And today we're talking surgery. Yeah. McKenna, welcome. It's good to be here. So uh, what do you think? What's the, what's, the, what's the bender? So, you know, normally surgery. surgery people have it, you know. You it, gotta... it happens. And one of those common nightmares associated with it is what would happen if I'm awake for my surgery? But more and more people are actively choosing to stay awake through surgery. Why? Why? There's a lot of different reasons. Um, for some people, it's the fact that uh, local anesthesia as opposed to general yeah. is cheaper. Okay, that So there's makes a sense. financial aspect. It is safer. Um, there are complications that can arise from yeah. being put all the way under. And some people just think it's sort of interesting and want to watch. But you – okay. Can you can you be awake for any surgery? Um, right I mean, now – I know the, in brain surgeries, I think you are awake. Yeah. Um, they don't put you under for that. Most commonly right now, the people who stay awake are people opt, uh, who are t- having orthopedic surgeries. That's the most common. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's a growing trend just about everywhere. I think it really depends on the person. You know, if you can stomach it, you can probably be awake for more. But <laughs> if it's going to freak you out too much to where you're going to start freaking out, won't s- not a good idea. Doesn't something idea. happen with your mind, though? Like if you're watching it. Isn't there something psychological going on where maybe you think you're feeling the pain when you're actually not? Possibly. Well, that's I why don't they know play. That science. Yeah, that's why they play like Willie Nelson <laughs> while you're while you're there. You're um, just, they try to like lull you to sleep. But that's I that's I think one of the reasons. You know, it definitely is going to be a person by person case as to whether or not you should do it because well, if you've had stitches and you were awake. And you couldn't feel it, but you could feel the tugging and the pulling. I don't know that I'd want – like let's say you're having some surgery, internal surgery in your gut. Well, that's going to be a much heavier local anesthetic. I know, but we, you'll still feel pressures and tugs and snugs and pulls and smells and sounds. Yeah, there's a lot of – A lot of surgery is pretty – Yucky. Yucky. Yeah. It's – Okay, people so are doing this. You have all those issues that you know we think of immediately with the that sounds uncomfortable things like mm-hmm. that. But that's not even what the biggest problem they've run into with this is. What is it? Doctors have no idea how to behave when <laughs> their patients are awake. You know, there's either this really uncomfortable silence because they're like, "Well, do yeah. I talk to them?" And that makes people uncomfortable. Or you know, when you're under, the doctors are like, they make a little tiny mistake. That's not a big deal. Yeah. They might say, oops. Oh, you don't geez. say, oops. <laughs> we got a bleeder. What is that? <laughs> when... We got a bleeder, Larry. <laughs> and that's the problem is that they just, that's that, crazy. you know, sort of. Yeah, that would be bad. They haven't trained doctors how to behave in those situations. And it's causing some interesting situations where a doctor going, what are you doing? You know, when the other Gladys. surgeon. So we you, told you not to eat last night. You you wouldn't, you wouldn't <laughs> want to be awake during this. I I I just had a, a what's it called um, an endoscopy of my stomach. Yes, oh, fun. and it was the greatest twenty minutes of my life. I wouldn't want to see that either. It was beautiful. But so that was. I mean, I get that when they got to put you out because 
you don't want to be awake while they're shoving something down your throat. Well, you'd be gagging all over the place. But be bad. it was beautiful. And I woke up happy and my wife was there and she looked like an angel. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven. It seems like a very granola thing to want to be awake during this type of thing. But then, you know, it's, it's kind of granola to not even go to a hospital at all. Yeah. I, it almost feels more like, like why would you want to have a, um, a – what's it called? Have no meds for birth, for childbirth. I mean go natural. Like I – you know, there's just sometimes you just need drugs and there's sometimes you need to be asleep. Yeah. It's, it, I think it just really comes down to what's going to make the situation more comfortable for you. I think yeah. some people feel like they have more control yeah. if they're awake True. and are going to be a lot less nervous. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it might – yeah. It, it, but if this is coming down to finances, that's sad. That is sad. Um, it, I would love to live in a world where everybody can just afford the medical yeah. things that they need. And, we sh- and again, we got to go. But that – just the mere health of it all, you shouldn't go under the knife and under anesthesia. Unless you need it. I mean, it's a serious deal. It really is. Well done, McKenna. Mindbender. We'll take a break, friends. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's a house of bows. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the place where we give you the latest, the greatest research and information so that you can lead your life in a healthy way, smart way, smart life. And uh, today we're going to be talking about should you ch- should you trust your gut or not? Uh, uh, Jeff trusted his gut on Monday and didn't come in. Thank you, Jeff. But he didn't trust his gut with the night before, two nights before, when he's like, "Should I have the salad or not?" Right. His gut's like, "I don't, I don't really think I should." I didn't really want anything. See, follow your first instinct, or do you? We'll talk about it. There's interesting research, and it might be better to follow your gut in your personal private life, but maybe don't follow your gut as much when it comes to business decisions. Because some of your gut may be, for example, may have you follow the guy that comes in to sell you something. He may have gone to the same high school or college that you did, and your gut will immediately have an affinity for him because – he went to the same school or he goes to the same church as you. Hmm. So because you went to the same church as you, you're like, yeah, we ought to do business with this guy. Okay, but what if you're going to lunch and it's a business lunch? What do you mean? Should I trust my gut then? <laughs> like I, I would, should I on, order the, the steak or should I order the baked potato? What I would do is I would do the smell test. Smell it, then check your gut. So go with your nose. Go with your nose. Right. But only in, only in business. Well, food. Okay. Business food. Well, food. Am I confusing you guys? Yes, you are. Um, so do you check? Do you, do you trust your gut or not? And, and we'll get into it because it's actually very interesting because a lot of times we trust our gut when it may not make good business sense. It might be better at times to actually think with your head, not your gut. Hmm. 
especially when it comes to people. Says who? <laughs> like Donald Trump, I'm going to bet he wishes he had maybe had different people around him at different times. Like maybe a Paul Manafort, mm, he okay. didn't really need. We got a bunch of real dummies. Because he was only right. in there so long, right? And then they got rid of him the second it started making noise. Yeah. And now he's got several undisclosed bank accounts in Cyprus. Right. And they're not sure where that money came from, but they think wrong. they came from oligarchs. And wrong. Stuff, so. <laughs> You're wrong. But he had such a small influence. Small influence. On- small influence. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about an 18-month you know, campaign, yeah. he kind of did. But you can't ever call your campaign manager a small influence. Well, they he was, did. He was a big man at the biggest time of his campaign, right? The day, the minute they're they're uh, winning the nomination, so huge. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Plus, a lot of headlines. We're going to talk about if you if you're a big fan of Harry Potter, uh, the British Quidditch Cup is coming up. Mm. Quidditch is the what I thought was the kind of fake imaginary game of witches and warlords. Oh, it is. But apparently McKenna's like, no, it's real. Oh. And, and we've, we've, got, uh, we've, we've got a reporter, Ron Brokaw, second cousin twice removed to Tom Brokaw. Where has he been, by the way? I think – I don't know. I think he had just was on sabbatical. Yeah. In the Mediterranean, I think somewhere. Uh, yeah. He got really into the Mediterranean diet. Hmm. When I was growing up, I thought a sabbatical had some sort of religious meaning to it. I think it does by definition, but not by practice. Hmm. I don't know. Is it like a religious break? I'm taking a religious sabbatical. Yeah, no, you're not allowed to have a religious break. I'm not going to church for the next year. I'm just going to take a sabbatical. A sabbatical. Uh, we'll get into all that fun, plus other empty news headlines that you're going to want to hear about all straight ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Representative Walter Jones of North Carolina on Tuesday broke with his own party leadership to join calls for House Intelligence Committee Chairman David Nunez to recuse himself from his own panel's probing of Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election. Becoming the first Republican in Congress to do so, Jones said, how can you be the chairman of a major committee and do all the things behind the scenes and keep your credibility? You can't do that. Nunez has come under fire from Democratic lawmakers after it was revealed that he visited the White House grounds to obtain evidence allegedly proving President Trump's transition team was incidentally surveilled. Uh, if anything has shown that we need a commission, this has done it by the way that he has acted, Jones echoed, calling for the establishment of an independent commission. Nunez says he won't recuse himself. He says he's not going to share this information with anybody on the committee. And it just seems kind of weird of what's going on. Now, here's what else is weird. Yeah. And, and it is weird. Everything's weird that he's doing. It's weird. It's shady. It's weird. And everybody on that committee knows... That once a week, you probably are going to the, the White House Executive Building or the other buildings to do this. They all know that that happens. They're just weirded out that it happened the day before he then made that weird move to the White House. Would yes. it have mattered if he had gone to another building to get the same data? Right. It's just... And then, the, then in the press... so political. Sean Spicer in his press conference oh, yeah. couldn't confirm if the White House knew he was there or not. Yeah. Didn't seem too worried about it. Just, you know, people are on the White House grounds. It's well, I mean, there's lots of people here. So to make sense of all this, Stephen Colbert on the uh, <laughs> the Late Show last night was able to put this together. It's kind of funny. He used titles of, of Tom Clancy novels to explain the oh, Russian perfect. situation Good. and why it's concerning. 
Because I don't know what's going on between you and Russia, sir. Okay, and I don't think anyone else knows either. Partly because it's really complicated, this, you know, kind of intrigue, you know, did you call somebody, did anybody call you, did they hack for you? Partly because it's complicated, probably because you're really boring spies. So I'm going to liven it up right now by explaining the situation with more exciting spies, the Tom Clancy novels. You see, the commander-in-chief is reaching the breaking point because Trump's administration is under fire for a possible call to treason, putting us in clear and present danger without remorse, which is why I'm experiencing the sum of all fears. Wow. See, that cleared it up. Yeah. That was I've, a lot clearer. I've read, I think, all but one of those books. Really? Yeah. So you want, see, this is the problem. You want real spies. Oh, I want something. And this is Nunez going so, down. He walked over to the White House, talked to some people. Now you say, some when you say the White House, you think everyone thinks he walked in the front door of the White House and then went yeah. in like the lavatory and read well, a private he, document. He won't officially say where this room is because it's top secret. It's right. classified where this room is. You go and look at documents, yeah. but it's in the office building yeah. that's off to the side. Right. So we, what we ought to say is he was in the executive building yeah. next to the White House on the White House properties. Yeah. He won't say that, though. Yeah. It's classified. Which, by the way, I'm going to bet... Schiff, what's his name? Schiffer, yeah. Sniffer, Adam the quicker picker upper. He's the ranking Democrat. He has been to the same place right. to read documents. He just didn't do it the day before he then. There's snuck also some away thought and, that he didn't need to go to the White House to do this. There's secure rooms all over DC. You can look at it in any secure room, is what another member right. of the intelligence committee was trying to say. Interesting. Last night. So, 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 yeah. It's all up in the air. It's confusing. But he, if by, and re- the bigger thing is Nunez also has ties to the campaign. He does. He worked for the campaign also. Uh, President Trump's funding request for a border wall will likely wait until later in the year. Senator Roy Blunt announced Tuesday that as a senior member of the Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, he's speaking at a leadership press conference. He noted that the House and Senate leadership are close to finalizing the budget for 2017, and it does not include the wall. It doesn't? No. Likely well, the wall construction will not be included in the bill. Well, who, how, how yeah. do you build a wall without it right. being included? Still, on Tuesday, the White House sent Congress a request for an immediate cut of $18 billion from domestic programs to pay for the wall. Hmm. So these two things happened simultaneously I thought we yesterday. weren't paying for the wall. Well, no, it's a rebate. We pay, get the money back. Oh, we'll get a rebate. We, we have to cut the US, yeah. USB code. US, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, putting yeah. solar panels, and then we get yeah, a tax yeah. break. It'll come back in 30 okay. years. Also, NBC primetime coverage of the 2018 Winter Olympics from South Korea will air live across the United States, including the West Coast, a first since the game became a major TV attraction in the late 60s. They're finally acknowledging that the Internet exists. And you can find out anything you want before they show it on TV in the primetime. Excellent. Which is boring. Just show it. I mean, who cares? Just show it. And finally, a reality TV experiment inc- concluded filming after the show was canceled and no one watched it. Really? But then the question is, did it happen? 
If you film a reality TV show and cancel it. And no one watches it, did it happen? Was it really there? It's like a tree falling in the forest. In this case of the Scottish series Eden, that's exactly what happened. According to The Guardian, 23 contestants entered into the wilds of the Scottish Highlands in March to live for a year, completely cut off from modern society. Oh, sad. By the end of the social experiment, only 10 contestants remained, but Eden producers neglected to tell the participants the show was canceled in August. So... So after only four episodes. So they started last March. Yeah. It was canceled by August. Four episodes had aired. Right? And these they people kept are these out there giving up their until life. Until the following March. Right? So they just they just barely came out the last couple of weeks. And they're like, they're thinking that they've been on the telly all day. Yeah. Just they're the talk of the town. So what's worse? The fact that you find out later that you've done all this and it means nothing. Or the fact that you come out and in Scotland you're dealing with Brexit. And then, like, there's this this Trump guy that's running around. And the article was yeah. interesting. It ran through all the things that happened in the last year. I think I think for them, because they all wanted to be stars, right? They, they got they, paid. Yeah. yeah, but they probably wanted more than the minimum payment. They Somebody wanted to win big, I'm assuming. Right. And then also they wanted to be stars. And nobody's watching. And imagine all the, all the like, camera moves they've made and how many times they've looked at the camera and thought about the camera. And I wonder if my mom saw me say that because she might not be liking that because mom doesn't like it when I kiss boys. And... Why would they keep them on after the show was canceled? Well, could you imagine? Maybe, the... they, maybe they just wanted to film the whole thing, get the whole thing done, get it in the can because they've already paid – They've already put out the money. Just put it on DVD or now, something? Now, then we'll, Netflix will buy it. Yeah, They'll do buy a it. Netflix okay. documentary. Okay. The yeah. making of a show that was never made. The ruining of 20 lives. <laughs> we ruined the lives of 20 But the Scottish people. Highlands in the winter. Speaking of the Whoa. Scottish Highlands, the British Quidditch Cup, mm. it's, it's underway. Quidditch, can, can one of you explain to me Quidditch very quickly? Uh, it's because it seems like it, it's kind of a nerdish endeavor. Isn't Jeffrey, it, isn't it like the British Cribbage? Nope, it's not. It's Harry Potter's Qu- Quidditch. It's from, from what I've seen. It's grown men riding broomsticks, running around, throwing some sort of now, ball. At in Italian. Harry Potter, they fly. Well, yeah, they fly and they chase a snitch. Okay. And a golden snitch, which is a little tiny flying golden ball. All right. So and it's not like an informer. No, it's not a snitch okay. like that. It's a different kind of snitch. And they're supposed to chase it. And then they, they throw uh, balls, I think using magic, okay. to fly and throw these balls through three targets, three targets right? Yeah. And so forever, I just thought it was a silly little game that was in a book. But now it's actually being acted out on fields. And these these grown men now larpers, live LARP, a, live action role players. That's really yeah, what it is. Uh, lerps, I think we call them in my world. Lerpers, uh, larpers. Then they put a pole between their legs. Yeah, like a broomstick instead of a broomstick. A I pole. I think that's a key component. You must always have a broomstick. Sounds uncomfortable between your legs. Then then you run around the team on the field. I mean, and you chase the you chase it. The tournament draws its inspiration from Harry Potter, and. Um, you know, the, the, remember the book has muggles, which are um, non magical, magical non witches. So you, mm-hmm. us, yeah, we're just typical muggles, gotcha. and, and then it has those that have the powers. Anyway, anyway, it's now a mixed gender sport, multinational sport. It's played in over twenty countries worldwide. Mm. 
and the UK, uh, the Brits are having their Quidditch Cup, Quidditch Cup right now. Um, the team, by the way, the Velociraptors is the name of the team, is, seems to be doing really well. It's basically a mix of rugby, dodgeball, with little hints of handball thrown in there, all with a with a pole stuck between a guy's <laughs> legs like he's riding a hippity hop or a horse. So like a, do they – Yeah. Do they sweep up while they're doing it? Are they cleaning up? I at think all? they've actually removed yeah, the broom. No broom it's just the it. stick. Yeah. They oh. just have to ride the stick. So we really wanted to uh, cover this because McKenna thought it would be, you know, big for our listeners. She hmm. she feels deeply about this. Right. So we we sent one of our reporters, Ron Brokaw, and Ron's been away from the scene for a while now. I don't, we don't know where he went, but Ron's a distant cousin to Tom Brokaw. So I think he was. Just waiting for the right story. Okay. A lot of these stories, he just stands out of the way and says, I'll let Chick Shemway yeah. cover this one. So he's he's there at the competition. And, and, and Ron, what do you know? What's coming out of the British Quidditch Cup? What do you see happening? Hello, Matthew. I'm standing here with Bertie Jenkins, the keeper from the Velociraptors, the team that's just won the British Quidditch Cup. Bertie, how do you feel about this huge win against the Bristol Bangers? Ah, what a rush. I mean, we just had a fantastic time. We gave it our best, and those half-bloods on the other team didn't have a prayer. They was flying around on those antiquated Nimbus 2000s. But our captain really pulled us all together for the big W. I mean, did you see him out there? He was really flying down the field. Well, not really flying, right? I mean, this is a fake sport. You think this is fake? (laughs) Oh, What's that then? Is that fake? <laughs> cool it, Bertie. I'll show you how to cool it. Oh, gosh. Oi! Get back here and take what's coming to you, you dirty muggle. Wow. I'm going to I'm gonna call him. Yeah, go check on him. That was violent. Ron, I hope, I hope he's okay. That was a punch. Holy cow. That reminds me of that guy, that all-star wrestler that beat up. That uh, television reporter I'm asking not, him if it was if it was fake. I'm not familiar with that. That was violent. You know what? Don't ever question a Quidditch player. They play dirty. They play dirty. Man, I wonder if Ron's going to be back doing any stories anytime soon after I, that. I don't know. It's sad because we just barely got him back. I'd be traumatized. I'd, I'd be ronatized. By the way, that guy's still riding on a Nimbus 2000. Those are old-fashioned. And very good uh, safe word usage there. You said riding. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't say flying. No. And I didn't say galloping like a four-year-old on a yeah. fake horse. Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll check on Ron, folks. Don't worry. Uh, he's a tough, tough cookie. He's one of our toughest reporters. That guy can take a hit. We will – He'd uh, take two hits. He'd t- <laughs> He took two. I think he could have had a third, personally. We need video for that. Boy, I hope he's okay. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to talk about when should you trust your gut and that instinct. You know, when does it work for you? When does it not? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you encounter a dangerous situation or a difficult decision, you often hear advice to trust your instincts, right? Trust trust your gut on this one. Our primal instincts kept our ancestors alive, but our next guest, Dr. Gleb Sapersky, argues that trusting our instincts at work may be hurting us instead of helping us. Uh, Gleb, thank you so much for being with us today. You're so welcome, and thank you for having me back on the show, Matt. You bet. Honored to have you again. And um, so are, are you saying that our gut is telling us one thing that works maybe in our personal life, but uh, when it gets to business decisions, it might be a different, it might be a different tool we'd want to follow? Well, um, I'd suggest that our gut instinct is often wrong in our personal lives as well. So it really does depend on the situation. Research shows that our guts lead us in the right direction most of the time, but there are some systematic situations where our guts lead us astray. For example, some people are optimistic, inherently optimistic about their relationships or their private life, about their financial situation, about their careers and so on, and they make bad mistakes because they're optimistic. They don't plan ahead, they don't plan for risks, they don't think that, well, you know, maybe the person I'm dating doesn't like me as much as I do. Huh. Or, you know, maybe I don't need to work on my relationship with my wife as much as I do. And uh, then that's why one of the reasons why we get so many divorces. And in, at work, they might think that, well, you know, my boss certainly likes me, even though he or she has not been saying anything about liking me, huh. because they tend to assume that silence means good things. And they also tend to not plan ahead when opening new businesses. Let's say they open a new business. There is a reason why about 80 to 90 percent of new businesses fail. That's not a reason to not open a new business, but a reason why many fail is that the people running them are optimistic and don't plan ahead nearly as much as they should. It's It's interesting. Yes, the same problem applies to pessimists. Pessimists have the – and that's another form of – thinking error. So pessimists tend to think that, you know, optimists tend to think that the grass is green on the other side. Pessimists tend to think that the grass is yellow on the other side of the hill. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and, and then that creates this bias. And then I guess we only look for data that supports our bias. Yes, which is another sort of thinking error called confirmation bias. We can get into that. But pessimists, you know, contra-optimists, they would be not taking advantage of new opportunities. They would think that, oh, you know, this person would never want to date me. The, you know, they are too, you know, he's too high up, he's too much of a hunk or something like that. Mm. Or, you know, in personal life. And in, in business, they wouldn't go and uh, ask their boss for a raise. And they wouldn't start a new business by themselves at a time when they actually should. So that's, those are just two types of thinking errors that cause us to make bad decisions if we follow our guts in business and in life. Oh, Gleb, this is, it's, it's important. My uh, son ran for student body officer for his school for next year. There were like 40 students that ran. And um, as we were, as I was asking him, every, all of them were feeling pretty confident. I mean, everyone was insecure, <laughs> but they all thought they had a really, really good chance. And even if you just look at the basic statistics, they don't, right? <laughs> they don't have a good they chance. Don't. So their odds aren't good, but there's something about our brain that makes us want to, th- to think it's, it, it, we do. Why, why would our brain want to play a trick on us? It seems like it would actually set us up to be hurt. That's true. That's true. So I'm going to ask you something, Matt. Uh, when people, how many people do you think consider themselves above average drivers? 
Oh, I've heard that. I've, I think a lot of people do. Like, I bet yeah. you, I bet you, eighty percent think they're yeah, above a average. A little, a little bit higher, ninety percent. Oh, are you serious? In in the United States, ninety <laughs> percent of people, you know, I'm sure that ninety percent of the candidates think they're above average. Have have an above average chance yeah. for winning. <laughs> it's true. The same, yes. And research shows that when people say they're ninety nine percent confident that they're right in an answer, they're only actually correct about eighty percent of the time. Oh my heavens! So when people are super super sure, they're only actually have a four and five shot. You know, why do you think gambling is such a popular business and survives? Yeah, right. Because you know, people are ninety nine percent sure. Why do you think so many people's houses are underwater uh, right now? You know, to turn to a more serious question. Well, because uh, 99, 100% of the people who bought their homes in 2007 were sure that the prices would keep going up, and they, didn't, they can make a bad bet on the house, and you know, they can make a bet on the house, and it will keep going up. So that's that's a bad problem, and our brains play these tricks on us because of the basic ways that our brains are wired. So we have two systems of thinking. One is the very intuitive gut intuitions. It's the autopilot system. So it's called System One or the autopilot system. I prefer the autopilot system. It's more intuitive. And so the autopilot system is that lizard brain. It's the so it's the one that was、uh, evolved in the savanna. It's much more powerful. It's intuitive. It turns on in milliseconds. It's the one that gets us the fight or flight response. You know, the getting out of danger. Yeah. But you know, right now we're not living in a savanna environment anymore,、right. uh, Matt. You know, we don't need to、uh, flee from saber-toothed tigers or freeze when there's a snake slithering by so it doesn't see us. That's not our environment anymore. You know, when we go to、uh, our boss for the you know annual performance evaluation, and she's giving us some constructive criticism. You know, we don't want to be the people who are punching the boss in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, that'll you'll lose the job, right? Yeah, you don't、exactly. want to have that threat instinct turn on there, right? Or the other one,、uh, which is the flight response, and sticking your fingers in your ear and saying,、mm-hmm. "I can't hear you." Yeah, you know, that's the flight response. You don't want that either. What you want to do is be able to incorporate the boss's feedback and improve your performance based on the boss's feedback. Now that takes. Our other system of thinking, the intentional system or system two. So the intentional system is what I prefer to call it. So the intentional system is much smaller than, much weaker than the autopilot system. It evolved much later. So when humans started living in social groups, it it's adapted for social dynamics, and that's what helped us develop these、uh, tribes and cities and civilization. So that's the system that turns on. In a, about a second, instead of a millisecond, instead of milliseconds. Now we don't want that system when we are facing a saber-toothed tiger,、right. or when we're trying to get out of the way of a moving car. So we definitely want the flight response. But the vast majority of emergencies or threats that we're facing are not the kind of threats where we want to use our guts, because our guts are not adapted for the modern world.、Hmm. We want to think through the threat. We want to think through the consequences of our decisions. People tend to make gut reactions when they don't actually need to go with their guts. When they can take the time to think through, well, how should I actually respond to my boss's criticism? You know, or how should I actually have a good relationship with my girlfriend or my 
uh, or my husband, you know, yeah. how should I have that relationship? You know, should I just, if they are not saying anything, should I assume that everything is going well? Or maybe do I want to check in with them occasionally and say, you know, hey, uh, honey, how are things going with you? And do you need anything from me? Am I not satisfying some of your desires? Or, hey, you know, you're not satisfying some of my desires. Let's talk about that. Mm. And same thing in business, you know, how are you, not assume that if your boss is not saying anything, you're doing great. And you want to check in sometimes and see how things are going. Or when you start a new business. I mean, I, so many times I see people starting new businesses because they think everything will go well and they'll have a good market and they just print out a bunch of business cards and they incorporate themselves and they think that, well, that's all. I'll just get the sales that I need. And they don't think about, well, how are you going to market yourself? What is going to be your profit uh, flow? How yeah. are you actually going to make a living? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And you brought up confidence because it seems like it is that reptilian brain, the lizard brain, that is the brain that's going to give you such quick confidence to do something even if you're wrong. Because the lizard brain doesn't yeah. care if you're wrong just as long as you don't die. Um, right. And so but the higher brain, um, the, the, the higher, I don't know, I can't, the, the intentional, intentional system, the that, intentional system versus the autopilot one, the, the intentional would make you the autopilot makes you feel confident, even though you haven't even thought it through. But the intentional brain almost creates a humility like, boy, I don't know, let me let me investigate yeah. this. And right. so you're saying we need to at times, we, we need to not just go with our gut and the immediate push and, and the immediate confidence. Instead, we need to ask the deeper questions and, and, and figure out deeper answers to certain things. That's absolutely right. And that's a big problem with intuition. So there are plenty of people who push intuition. And the reason intuition feels intuitive is because it's very comfortable. So this is how we know that the autopilot system is working, because we feel comfortable with it. Hmm. And most people prefer to go with something they're comfortable with rather than take put in the mental effort and do a thing that's less comfortable but one that's more aligned with their goals. So, you know, it's not comfortable to incorporate your boss's critical feedback and improve your performance because that implies you have to go and say, oh, I've been doing something wrong. It's much more comfortable to say that the boss is wrong rather than I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is it's such much, a great point. It, it's it's about it's about comfort, isn't it? And it it's it easier and it and it's easier too because you can you can say, well, you know, I was just trusting my gut. But mm-hmm. like and you bring up a great point in your article about how we even choose business partners because mm-hmm. my gut might feel comfortable with these people because they come from my tribe, they come from my church, they come from my something that my gut kind of trusts like they're not they're not going to kill me but it <laughs> it may not still make good business sense and my higher brain uh my intentional system's not even being engaged absolutely so one of the things I talked about in the article is how when people choose business partners or employees they tend to choose people who are like themselves, who they are comfortable with. And this feeling of comfort is a gut reaction, is an intuitive reaction, and the research shows it's a really bad way of choosing people. So when you look at research, uh, at people who are chosen by employees who go with their guts, these people tend to not succeed well in the business. So this is one reason why unstructured job interviews 
however comfortable they make you they might make you feel so unstructured means you don't have any questions your standard set just of winging questions. it you just talk through yeah you're just winging it uh, you might have a rapport or establish a comfort and then you think this person will be really great but what's called what's actually happening is a series of problematic thinking patterns in your brain most well known as the halo and horns effect so the halo effect is a thinking error where if you like one characteristic of someone then your liking uh, uh, spreads to all of those all other areas hmm. and you think the person is good in all other areas yeah if they're angel they're an angel everywhere yes exactly so that's why the halo effect so let's say uh, you're higher you're hiring someone who works from bring uh, who went to Brigham Young University and had the same professors as you and you get into a conversation about like oh there was how that professor she was so great and you know and that and that other one oh she was so bad she gave us all the homework you know i hated her <laughs> and you then you bond around that and yeah. that's that feels great but that doesn't actually tell you anything about how the person is going to perform at the workplace and then you're going to hire that person, and the person is not going to work out well. Because somebody else who didn't go to Brigham Young and maybe not Mormon, not share your religion, you know, they might actually have much better job qualifications. But what's going to happen is something called the horns effect, where if you, which is the opposite of the halo effect, if you dislike one aspect of someone, you dislike all other aspects of them. So let's say this person's an atheist, and let's say you're Mormon that might cause you to dislike that person and cause you to negatively evaluate their ability to perform at the job, which might have nothing to do, their personal belief might have nothing to do with their job performance. But that's what's going to happen. Or somebody came, you know, I'm at Ohio State, so uh, something that, you know, and I'm contractually obligated to root for the Buckeyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to. I have to. So if somebody came from, you know, the... University up north, Michigan, which, you know, were obligated, Rivals, contractually right. obligated to root against. Some people might not like them. Now, I know about this, you know, halo and horns effect, so I will not personally evaluate them negatively. But plenty of people who went to Ohio State will not want to hire Michigan fans mm. because they're like, well, that person's from Michigan. How can I, you know, interact with that person? But that person might be more qualified for the job. So, Something that I often do in my consulting, so I'm not only a professor, I also do consulting for businesses, is I go into businesses and help them improve their performance process to, uh, in regards to diversity. And this is not ethnic or gender diversity. This is cognitive diversity. So making sure that they're not hiring people just because those people have certain similar tastes. You know, they root for the Buckeyes. Or yeah. You know, they're of the same religious belief or they, you know, went to the same uh, went to the same school or have the same dialect or something like that or like chocolate ice cream. I don't know, whatever they have. So making sure that the halo effect and the horns effect doesn't involve, doesn't negatively impact hiring. Yeah. Oh, this is fascinating to me. Glad. Let's let's take a break. Um, when we come back, I want to talk about uh we had an FBI agent on the show, and he talked about – I can't remember the word he used, but it's like affiliate affiliate crimes because of affiliation, where you're more likely – Mormons might be more likely to be scammed by Mormons. Jews might be more likely to be scammed by Jews because we have this, we have this horns and halo effect. Um, 
and cognitive distortion. And, and it's I think it's getting to what you're getting to, Gleb. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, at what point do you quit trusting the gut? Some of your gut is just an automatic response, and some of it needs to be your decision-making needs to be more intentional um, to open up your mind. It's interesting stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, how to find out when to trust your gut and maybe when you ought not be following your uh, your gut. And it's a really weird word because there's so many different things I think we're talking about here, too. Intuition uh, is part of it. Also, just, you know, some people, though, would, would even suggest there's a spiritual side to some of this and... So I wanted to ask our expert on it. Gleb, Dr. Gleb Sapersky joins us. He is at Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, and um, contractually obligated to root for the Ohio State University. And Gleb's been on the show before. Thank you so much for, for uh, joining us again, Gleb. Thank you so much for having me on again, Matt. This is um, – I love the topic. Now, I, before the break, I brought up this idea about the FBI – they point out like LDS people, Mormons, are more likely mm-hmm. to be um, sold a bill of goods to have frauds, you know, uh, placed on them or, or played against them by Mormons because mm-hmm. we're we're very open to other Mormons. Talk about the impact of this tribal side where we're, once we're connected and we we trust somebody, we're much more open to anything. Absolutely. So this is uh, something that people take advantage of. That's another aspect of the halo effect and the horns effect, where we presume people are going to be more um, trustworthy, and because they're part of our tribe, we intuitively let them inside, inside our circle of trust. And because LDS people let other LDS people inside their circle of trust, they're much more likely to be abused by other Mm. LDS people than others, because you don't have that skepticism, you don't have that barriers, you won't be checking their background and the references nearly as much because you think, oh, they're, they're LDS, therefore they're, um, you know, worthwhile. Well, I mean, they're going to be in any sort of group. There are going to be people who are known in the scholarship as defectors. So they defect against the group, and therefore they gain benefits from uh, people within that group. And they so, use the psychology against you. Absolutely. And they know that. I mean... You have people who are quite aware of how the psychology works and how they use it against you. There are, <laughs> I mean, talking about LDS, and this happens actually in any church, that there are um, homeless people who, are specialize, who specialize in going into churches and getting um, treatment, getting you know, stuff from, yeah, them, help, yeah. from people, uh, just because they know that people in the church will feel certain things mm and they'll be inside that circle of trust, and they'll be much less likely to refuse them. And, or, you know, the right tactic for that sort of situation when you have, for your listeners, when you have someone who works, walks into your church and starts asking for money is to offer to get them food or something like this. 
if they if they say they need food, then offer to get them food. Don't give them money for food, yeah. because they probably will not be spending it on food. And uh, so that's just you know a little tip. But that's in many other cases that's going to be the same way, where people within a tribe, you know, this happens in any church, in any close knit community, which LDS communities are. Mm-hmm. You, know, you go to something uh, like less like a Catholic church, which also tend to be close-knit communities, you'll have the same experience. Or people in, let's say, Rotary clubs, if somebody who right. claims to be a Rotary member and they come to your Rotary club from another city, if they don't already know them, you'll be more likely to trust them and they'll be more likely to, to scam you. And like you said, affiliations from universities or mm-hmm. clubs or even professional networks, you know, yeah. yeah, we're all members of whatever group professionally. I, so I guess what you're saying, though, is um, not to trust – because what, what we think a lot of times is intuition – is really, you're saying, just kind of our our most protective reptilian fight-or-flight brain, which is designed to automatically, it's an autopilot that's designed to get us to actually not die. Uh, It's to keep us alive. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that you're bringing up, and and help us differentiate, because I know a lot of people, too, that think, you know, it, it may not make sense intellectually to do this, but they feel like almost prompted, like it's, it's it's the right thing to do. It's the it's it's the spiritual thing to do. Help us maybe differentiate how we could discern between something that might be spiritual and right and and mm-hmm. versus the higher brain versus the reptilian brain. Sure. So something that's going to be spiritual and right is still going to be spiritual and right if you take the time to think about it. <laughs> True, huh? Yeah. Just slow it down and enjoy and and think it through. So going with your gut may or may not be correct. But if you think it through, you will still be using your gut because you can use your feelings and intuitions, but then you can also think, well, it, does this actually align with my goals? Or once people know about you know, these thinking errors, hey, this person comes from the LDS, uh, should I still trust him just, just as much as I would trust any person on the street? Or knowing that some people specifically take advantage of affiliations, should I check him just as much as I would check any other person? And that doesn't in any way challenge the spirituality of the situation because you can still be connected with that person spiritually and know that, well, hey, uh, she comes from my church and that's great, but, you know, maybe I should still call the references that she gave in mm. the church and check out those references and not just assume that, you know, those references will say good things and then not check on them, which yeah. is a problem that people often get into. So uh, that still allows your spirituality to be there. You don't have any challenges to being spiritual. You can still go with your spiritual side, but you can take the time to slow down and think through and Take steps to make sure that your gut is not leading you astray. Yeah, and then it seems like too you're more informed. So if it does go sideways, you can still say, "Great, I, I slowed down. I made the intentional decision, and I understood mm-hmm. some of the consequences and risks. And this is, I guess, what I'm supposed to be going through at this point. I mean, you're informed now. You're not just you're not just chalking it always up to intuition or inspiration. <laughs> when a lot of times, if you would just think, slow it down, you might come up with a better or a more inspired thought? Absolutely. So decision-making is not, the goal of decision-making is not to completely avoid bad decisions. It's to minimize 
the likelihood of bad outcomes. Mm. Now, this is an important point that I want to clarify. Decision-making, there there's a certain problematic thought process called outcome bias, where you judge decisions based on how they came out. And that's highly problematic because sometimes they turn out badly or well by luck. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's, you know, pure choice. You know, sometimes the person who you hired because they're LDS and you don't check the references, they're great. You know, but this is about maximizing the probability. Sometimes they will scam you. Yeah. And so what you want to make sure to avoid this outcome bias is to check your process. Is your process of decision-making good? Did you go through the steps? And you can, you, what you want to do is make sure that no one, yourself or others, can fault you for taking the steps that you did in making the decision. And then you can talk to others and say, hey, this is, the, this is why I made a decision. I didn't just go with my gut. I went through this process. Now, the person we hired might not have been the best person. That's mm. fine. If you went through the process and took the steps to make sure to maximize the likelihood of hiring the right person, that's great. No one can ask more of you. Now, if you just went with your gut, yeah, someone's, someone's going to be asking questions. Yeah. <laughs> Appropriately so. <laughs> but you know what? Oh, boy, Gleb, where we see this a lot, I see it a lot in marriage. And mm. when they're talking to me about at a stage of divorce, they they mm. do have this outcome bias. Like, see, you know, I made the wrong I made the wrong decision, and I do that very thing. I ask them about how they made the decision, and they talk about how they went through the process. And sometimes it is just you know the inst- intuitive kind of approach they took and the instinctive. But sometimes it's I thought it through. I I prayed. I got a prompting. I got insight. I knew the person and and it didn't turn out well. Sometimes things don't turn out well. Yeah. And the, sometimes they don't turn out well by luck. That's right. And that's, that's too bad. But, you know, you're going to be much more likely to avoid a disaster if you go through a process that's thorough and turns on your intentional system. Because with something like marriage, why do you need to rush? Yeah, what's why the hurry? do you need to do the flight or fr- fight or flight response? You're so much more likely to find a good partner. I'm, it's a ball about decreasing the likelihood of disaster. So you're much more likely to find a good partner if you go for a considerate and slower decision-making process. That's such good advice. Gleb, we, we appreciate you being back on. we got to have you back. Keep, uh, keep writing. Keep researching. I love um, learning from you and your great work. Again, everybody, his name is Gleb Sipersky, T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. Go look up his website, glebsipersky.com, and uh, you can find his writings on theconversation.com. Ah. Your gut—it's more—it's—it's it's a bigger process than just what you're feeling in the moment. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, that's just great advice that we get. Even our even our sponsors, our commercials, they're, you, you're getting information the entire time you're listening to this program. Hey, a robber breaks his leg and then calls for help, and then he gets arrested. You know, if we've told you once, we've told you a thousand times. If you're going to rob a bank or rob a house, you gotta you got to think through it. A robber in Virginia ruined his own getaway, first by breaking his leg in a jump off of a balcony, and then calling authorities to get help. 
Police say 21-year-old uh, Leol Yulsef will be charged with burglary for robbing an Alexandria apartment on Wednesday and then jumping off the balcony. Second story, by the way. After uh, the owner returned home, police say Yosef tra- left tracks in the snow when he jumped. Officers say they were following the snow trail when they received a 911 call from a man in the vicinity, amazingly saying he had broken his leg. Hmm. Responding officers matched the identity of the caller to the burglary suspect, and by golly, they made an arrest. If you just, some days, you just don't have the luck going with you. Next time, take the stairs, Joseph. Or just bring a rope with you, just like the, the previous commercial bring said. Bring a rope, exactly. Bring a rope, folks. You know, we're here to help. Even, you know, we want to coach even the felons. There are better ways to do it. But uh, again, thank you to the police who probably saved him. He could have frozen out there, the broken leg, and a bunch of stolen goods. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. On this program, we do what we can to give you a leg up on life. Today, we're going to work on your diet. We will be talking about the Mediterranean diet. Apparently, it's it's from one of those blue zones that we talk about. The blue zones are the ones where you get to have blue hair and live long lives. Florida? <laughs> kind of. Blue zones. Remember, we, we had uh, Ron Hager in here talking about the research done in certain countries or certain regions of the world. And it shows that, boy, in the Mediterranean, two of the longest living populations live in the Mediterranean and they are on the Mediterranean diet. So what's uh, can you tell us what's in that diet? Rice, euros, yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of euros, <laughs> Greek Slovakia, uh huh, a lot of baklava. Because mm. if you if it's if you tell me it's rice, I'll move there in a heartbeat. I don't know that rice is. I think it's more olives. Yeah. It's more like um, meat and vegetables. Yeah, lamb maybe. Yeah, but no rice. Some antipasta. Uh, rice is a carb. You're telling me there's no. They have no rice there. No, they have rice. They have but shrimp. That might not be part of the diet. I'm pretty sure they've got shrimp. A lot of fish. I'll do it if you could, if you tell me I can eat rice. You can eat rice. You can eat rice whenever you want to. Yeah. Just, I didn't know you liked rice that much. It's one of the things that my wife likes to make fun of me for. I find it very greeny. Yeah. He's a riceaholic. He's a riceaholic. Just wait till the rice vinegar shows up. Whoa. Mmm. <laughs> We'll be speaking with Karen Mangum. Does that name sound familiar? Have you ever heard of Tanner Mangum? She's been on the show before, so yeah. Tanner Mangum, oh, starting right. quarterback of the BYU Cougars. Right. Just Her, think his mom, Karen. She's our health, fitness, dietarian, dietitian guru. We need to really work on these names before they come on so we can just – yeah, Bam, more of a punch to it oh, instead of you she, trying to... You she's know. not listening to this part, though. She probably is. She is. Oh, She's incredible. She's been on the show before, and she's going to get us fit through health. And then we'll be throwing the long ball like her son. Mm. 
We'll be throwing those 40-yard touchdown passes, Hail Marys to win the game That's more against a, Nebraska. But we have to get on the team first. That's the tough part. Well, Especially when you don't go to school here. And you, you probably don't have any eligibility left. Well, that's rude. No, it's true. Look at this body and tell me I don't have eligibility left. You, you, you know, y- yeah. Did you, you see me you run may up the be, stairs? You may be like Uncle Rico, <laughs> and uh, you could throw a football over the mountains. Yeah, but I could. The the fact is, you're not in college anymore. You're not in college anymore. That is also true. I take no <sighs> offense to that. You know what's funny? Ever since we made fun of his diet and his sickness on right. Monday. Mm. He's he's pushed back a lot more. Yeah, you know, I don't know why. I like docile Jeff better. I know. I remember the just remember the one we back. used to just cuddle with. And yeah. well, I've been trying to eat healthier, so maybe I'm just crankier. That's probably it. That's probably it. So Karen Mangum will be joining us. Um, also, BYU Sports Nation, of course, will be up talking about their show. Find out what's coming up at the top of the hour, so you have a little heads up on that. Plus, a hero of the day and some more empty news. You're not going to want to miss this. We found some new jobs for you in China. If you can't find a job here in the United States, you can move to China and get some um, get money and get paid for sleeping. So you want to stay with us for that. But there goes Jeff. It's that rice diet he has. There it is. He's got the rice snores. Yeah, he does. Those are, by the way, the worst snores you can have. <clears throat> Let's now go to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Legislators in Maine, Virginia, Georgia, and Kansas are exploring the possibility of expanding Medicaid after the Affordable Care Act survived last week following the failure of a Republican-backed health care bill. Nineteen states have yet to expand the program, and in Kansas, where the state Senate passed an expansion bill late Monday, there is still heavy pushback from many conservatives. To expand Obamacare when the program is in a death spiral is not a responsible policy, a spokesperson for the Kansas uh, governor's office said. The Obamacare death spiral claim has been made by Speaker Ryan, President Trump, but it's refuted by the Congressional Budget Office. The CBO score reported a report for the Republican health bill contained a little notice, notice part of it last week which said that it's not the case. In fact, the CBO says that Obamacare exchanges are likely to be stable in most areas under the existing law. Hmm. But the problem is there's only one provider in most places, it seems like, across the nation. So they need to fix that part, but they yeah. might have a stable system they could build on. Yeah. But maybe not. Okay. It's Darn. too much. It's too much Obama. President Trump signed a sweeping executive order on Tuesday to begin the process of dismantling the environmental regulations implemented under the Obama administration to aggressively fight climate change. The order directs the EPA to suspend, revise, or rescind the Clean Power Plan. The Clean Power Plan limits carbon emissions from coal-fired power plants. Mr. Trump's executive order also lifts the memorandum on, or uh, moratorium excuse me, on federal coal leasing, rescinds restrictions on hydraulic fracking, and eliminates the National Environmental Policy Act, a set of guidelines for agencies to consider climate change into their decision-making process. Uh, Mr. Trump said, My administration is putting an end to the war on coal, going to have clean coal, Really clean coal. Yes. That's Hold what on. Wasn't that a song? It sounds like it's lyrical, yes. Yeah, gonna have coal, gonna have really clean coal. Clean coal, coal. Coal. Well, that's the traditional coal mining song. Didn't Nat King Cole sing that? While he was working in a coal mine. Yeah. yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. Three storm chasers were killed Tuesday while tracking a tornado near Spur, Texas, which I've been to. There's a prison there. 
I'm not going to tell you how I know this. Wait, you've been to the prison? I've been to the prison. Mm, do tell. I went in and talked to felons. It was great. Um, how nice of you. Yeah, well, you know, go on a two-year vacation, hang out in a prison. So there are two vehicles. <laughs> so they're chasing this tornado and two vehicles, a Jeep and a Suburban, like heading down the same roads, looking up at the tornado, head on collision. Oh, boy. Did anyone get hurt? All three are dead. Oh, brother. Two of them were live streaming to the Weather Channel. Chasing a tornado. They have the audio of them talking, and then the reporters come in, and afterwards, the collision happened. So, um, in a statement, the Weather Channel says, we are saddened by this loss, and our deepest sympathies go out to the families. sad. Very sad. But it's a lesson. Watch the road. Well, yeah. Not the tornado. That's why I'm going to buy a car that watches it for me. Friday is National Crayon Day, just to give you a heads up. But at Crayola, it will also be a farewell party. Yes. For the first time in its 100-year history, the company will retire a color from its 24-count box. What color? They're not saying. <gasps> they better be careful. Better not be red. They're, they're, they're not saying which one. They're going to make an announcement Friday in connection with National Crayon Day, a little you know, marketing situation. Crayola's last retired colors in 2013, or 2003, when it had the Save the Shade contest, kept burnt uh, sienna around but gave the boot to Blizzard Blue, Magic Mint, Teal Blue, and the universally reviled Mulberry. What's with blue? They got not rid sure. of Teal Blue? Yeah. So as before that, Crayola retired several colors in 1990 when the green, blue, orange, red, orange, yellow, violet, blue, maize, lemon, yellow. There's a lot of colors. Now, it's different when they retire a color. It's kind of still around. Yeah. When they eliminate one, they stop making it. It's never to be made again. Oh, that's just tragic. It'll live forever in what my heart. What did teal blue do to anybody? Not sure. It's sad. They apparently make 120 different crayon colors in total. Hmm. But once it's retired, production of the crayon stops. It's done. It's done. We're not doing this anymore. It's like extinct. Can they just make duplicates of the most popular ones so that when the crayons inevitably break, we'll have a backup? Yeah, do that. Like just have two reds. In the same box. Red one, red two. You know. Thing one, thing two. There you go. So Why do we have to do all the thinking on this show? They will take away a color and likely announce a color on Friday. If I'm a betting man, the business person in my mind says I would take away five colors, shrink the box, and add 25 cents to the price. Could be. That's business. My wife would like said yesterday probably uh, eliminate the white crayon. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, who you, uses the white? You, yeah, but- you can only use the white crayon on black paper. But the whites are already under fire. <laughs> white middle America, hello. Right. Then the next thing you know, Crayola's getting rid of the whites. There you go. So then again, they may not do that because it may kind of, you know, turn into something. Did you, <laughs> did you ever color yourself white? No. No. You color yourself like peach. As my son says, I'm peachy. Yeah. I think I actually, I feel like I'm darker toned than I actually am. So in my head, oh, yeah. I see my, myself almost as olive-skinned. Right. You're like, I have a nice, even tan, mm-hmm. and you're actually like porcelain white. But when I take my shirt <laughs> off, I look like a, like a porcelain doll. Right. It's blinding. Just perfect. You actually generate light. It's mm-hmm. crazy. I can see my blood <laughs> pulsing through my veins. You know what the white crayon was good for, though? What? You could uh, crayon, turn in a crayon, turn in a blank. Crayon, by the way, yes, like cranberry. You crayon. could turn in a blank piece of paper to your teacher and say, "Here's my art project. Mm. I did it with white crayon." 
Did that work? Once. I think we're understanding more, Jeffrey, about some of your issues. He's the kid that does everything in the white crayon. Man, I miss the days when I used to teach preschool. Mm. Not preschool. What's it called? Uh, in church. Nursery. You don't teach nursery. You kind of deal with it, don't you? No. Oh. You teach these gifts from heaven. <laughs> you teach them. You build blocks with them. You right. build towers. Oh, okay. You have snack time. Mm-hmm. You put a rope around their hand and you take them on a walk. There you go. By the way, uh, here are the notes for the next guest. Oh, you did it in white crayon? Yeah. Thank you. On white paper. Terry, will you translate those notes for me? No. Hey, uh, I know yesterday Terry was talking about looking for another job. Yes. Well, no, I said there were some jobs that I had found that people might find interesting. Why were you looking? Why were you looking? They popped up. I just saw them in the feeds. Well, here's another one if you're still looking. A company in Shanghai is making headlines for what is perhaps the most coveted job in the world, a professional sleeper. I'm so good at this. A manufacturer of dietary supplements in mainland China is looking to pay a salary of $14,400 yearly for a professional sleeper. Successful candidates will test the supplements and provide a comprehensive report on its effects. Hmm. However, it's not all just snoozing. The professional sleepers will have to put themselves in different sleeping patterns, mirroring people of different occupations. For instance, a software programmer's sleep pattern is erratic and vastly different to those working a normal day job, as well as people on night shift. Who can change their sleeping pattern? Yeah, and and again, it's for $14,000. Now, that might be a lot of money in that economy. I don't know. See, to me, that is the definition of you snooze, you lose. You lose money by taking that job snoozing. Yeah. Well, but all you're doing is snoozing. So you lose. I will now perform the sleep pattern of a 400-pound man. They're taxing your system to to mess it up so they can just test you. Yeah. So they should pay you more. There's hazard pay. Well, no. Then you just go home after your day's work and you go to sleep. Sounds heavenly. That'd that'd be so tiring. For instance, a software programmer's sleep pattern is different than anyone else. You have to learn to adapt. And so professional sleepers produce a report that includes the quality of sleep, feedback, and suggestions. The job does not require any past experience, but a love of sleep. People from different job industries can apply. Getting paid to sleep is slowly becoming famous as it carves a niche in the job field. There we go. So when you look at your kids like lounging around on the couch and you think they're never going to make anything of their lives, you might want to check them. They may be professional sleepers. Hmm. I mean, I know my teens all are. In the U.S., hospitals, research facilities, and even at NASA, hire professional sleepers for studies with annual payouts reaching as high as $300,000. That's what I'm talking about. That's a professional job. Now Jeff's pretending to be a sleeper, a professional sleeper. He's auditioning. He's not a sleeper. Could you think of, like, the job interviews for those? Yeah. You just go take a nap, right? I... I am a professional sleeper in a few ways. I have learned, and I'm telling you, everybody, listen to Dr. Matt. Would somebody wake him up? Jeff. This is so embarrassing. Focus, brother. Oh, sorry. Focus. I'm about to tell you the greatest sleeping trick. Earplugs. I've already said it on the show, and I'm going to start my own line of earplugs. Soft, foamy earplugs. I haven't tried the ones you've suggested yet. But get them in your ears, and then it it gets rid of all the ambient kind of noise, and all you hear 
is your respiration. You feel your heartbeat. It's just you in your own little cocoon. And it brings back memories of being in utero. And for some, that, you know, that might not be a, that's not a good idea. I don't know. But I'm telling you, it's heaven. Can't you just jump in a pool? Wouldn't that be kind of the no, same you'll thing? No, you got this, you're actually asleep. I we did sleep. have everything that we needed. You had everything you needed. Food, comfort, yeah, sleep, and you were close to mom. Lanugo, <laughs> you've been reading the book. Uh, what to expect when you're expecting? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Anytime the word Lanugo is brought up, you know that they are reading that book. It's also in the Mayo Clinic book. My wife would always would always share the gross parts of that book. She goes, "Oh wait, read this part." I'm like, "Oh, Ugh. why'd you do that?" I'm so glad I'm past that. No more Lanugo. Wasn't Lanugo a band on ABC? Oh, that, that was, was that, that was, was Menudo. Menudo. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Lanugo on ABC. There's Lenovo. Lenovo is a, a computer company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are different too. Again, the uh, the deep insights that you only get to hear on the Matt Townsend show. We will take a break when we come back. Karen Mangum will be joining us. We're talking the Mediterranean diet with our favorite dietitian. Stick with us. Welcome back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. Healthy eating is the goal, right? And, uh, boy, what better place to start than the Mediterranean? Apparently, um, our next guest, Karen Mangum, is a licensed and registered dietitian. She's a seasoned recipe developer, food blogger, nutrition consultant. She's also the author and producer of Inside Karen's Kitchen, which is a healthy food blog where she shares recipes that nourish and heal, along with some insightful nutrition musings, um, you know, and and, she, and by the way, most importantly, she's the most she's the most important mangum on the earth. Uh, many you know get into her son Tanner like he's a quarterback, big deal. But we all know that if it, if it wasn't for Karen, then uh, where would Tanner be? Karen Mangum, thanks for being with us. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. I, don't want, I better not tell Tanner that. I know. I'm trying to set the record straight. You're the mangum that <laughs> I matters. Think you're, right. you're gonna. You'll be. You'll be saving lives for years while he's just playing pro football. Hey, um, Karen. One of the things I love too that we probably ought to make a point of is Barry. You use this as meals and food and and for people that have gone through bariatric surgery, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a big part of kind of uh, one of the areas you try to focus on. That's right. One of the reasons I started the blog, well, there are many reasons, but uh, as it has evolved, because of my work as a bariatric dietitian, that means I help people who prepare for or who have had weight loss surgery. They needed a place to put a lot of the recipes from our cooking class, which I teach twice a month. Mm. So it's a, I have a tab on the food blog called Bariatric Friendly Recipes, but they're not just for those who, are, who have had surgery. They're for anyone, really, who are looking for a um, little more targeted ways to lose weight because they are relatively low in carbohydrates. Mm. Uh, people who have weight loss surgery have to reduce uh, a lot of their carbs so that the body can burn more of the excess fat and um, and while keeping your protein relatively high. It's not necessarily high protein as it is just low in carbohydrates. Low carb. Um, and, and today you, you wanted to bring up the Mediterranean diet. We've had Ron Hager on here from BYU 
um, and and he's a professor that that talked about those. I can't remember the name of it, but the blue uh, the, the blue regions of the world where people tend to live well into their late nineties, and two of the six areas in the world come from the Mediterranean. So there's something yeah. about what they eat there that they're finding out is a really healthy diet. This region has been studied for decades, really, and for centuries, of course, we've seen the pattern. We're talking Italy, Spain, Turkey, and Greece, mm. all those countries that surround the Mediterranean. And it's not to say that they have a corner on health, but by looking at that particular region, they do stand out in terms of um, their longevity. And so you, you start evaluating their lifestyle, um, what they eat you know, some of those health patterns. And we certainly have come up with um, a lot of great insights about how to live a longer, healthier life. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, the food, but let's maybe talk about it. You have five top benefits of the Mediterranean diet. Maybe start walking us through how we actually lose weight because of, of this type of diet. What's different about this diet? Like you started talking about earlier, is, is it just less carb? Is that where we're going with this? You know, the beauty of the Mediterranean diet is that it can be adapted for what you're looking for. Um, because of all these great benefits, you can target certain aspects of the Mediterranean diet to make it fit. So if you're trying to lose weight, uh, first of all, let's talk just briefly about what is the Mediterranean diet yeah. for those who might not be familiar with it. Essentially, um, what we're looking at is very fresh, whole, unprocessed foods uh, that... Um, are rich in not just um, vitamins and minerals, but phytonutrients and antioxidants that fight inflammation. Because for most of us, even uh, obesity, diabetes, cancer, um, they're all related to inflammation So um, and blood sugar control. So uh, the, the Mediterranean diet, the foundation is actually... Um, whole grains, uh, breads, pasta, rice, couscous, polenta, quinoa, uh, even potatoes. And most people think, well, wait a minute, Aren't them, am I supposed to reduce those if I'm trying to lose weight? Uh, and yes, that's probably true. That's how you can adapt the Mediterranean diet is that you would focus much more on the next level, which is fruits, uh, healthy legumes like uh, nuts and seeds and lentils. Um, vegetables, mm. um, uh, fresh, colorful vegetables, peppers, tomatoes, eggplant, broccoli, spinach, power vegetables. So you would focus much more on that level and eat a little bit less, just a smaller portion of the whole grains. This is all based, however, on a, probably the underlying foundation, and that is daily physical activity. That's really unique to people in the Mediterranean they move every day. They don't rely on public transit. They don't. Yeah, rely they're walking on cars, all over. On cars, they're walking everywhere, and that makes a big difference too. Isn't that funny? I mean, and it, it's such an old way of living, and we think we've adapted and created all this innovation, but in reality, we're, we're now we're just suggesting everyone go back to the old way. You are right on with that, Matt, because we get um, the American diet has evolved in a really, really negative way. 
I mean, we battle this every day in terms of what is on the grocery store shelves, what people are buying, what consumers want, which drives the market. And we're moving so far away from this whole food, uh, unprocessed way of living that we just really have to um, fight this every day. Is it? It looks like as as I look at your uh, again. If everyone goes to insidekarenskitchen.com, you've got a perfect little food pyramid there. And the Mediterranean diet. It looks like daily we should be trying to get you know cheese, yogurt, olive oil. Get maybe more of our protein from nuts and um, maybe cheese instead of we kind of do that daily. But then only weekly would we take in fish, maybe once or twice a week, or eggs once or twice a week. Correct. So if your protein sources are coming from uh, more dairy, like cheese and yogurt, um, that is very common in the Mediterranean. But they also add healthy doses of fish, much more fish than Mm. they would poultry, and a few eggs now and then, and sweets. The very tip top of the pyramid, very interesting for most people to, and very difficult for Americans to accept, is red meat. That's at the very, very top. Yeah, you say only monthly. Only monthly is the recommendation. So that's a tough buy-in for a lot of folks, particularly where I live in Idaho. Yeah. Uh, This is ranching country, and meat and potatoes, there's rules. And uh, so it's difficult to get people to make that switch. But... um, and and if they're not ready to make that switch, maybe we just adjust it to once a week rather than two or three times a week, which is much more common for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, if you're having but, meat two or three times a week and you just adjusted it to once a week, mm-hmm, you could still have fish thing. and chicken, right? Yes, absolutely. Make it up in your other proteins, uh, lesser um, fat, less saturated fat type proteins as in poultry, and particularly fish. One of my favorite recipes on the blog, which I posted just recently, is called a pesto fish roll-up. Oh, it looks so good. It incorporates this whole concept of olive oil um, blended with fresh basil and pine nuts and, you know, this yummy basil pesto, which you can make fresh. And then you, you spread a little bit onto the top of like a flounder or a cod and roll it up. Mm. And top it with this little um, crunchy panko pecan uh, topping and bake it. Um, oh, plus you put a little carrot inside. Oh, is that what, is that gravy. carrot that's inside there? Yeah, that's oh, a little carrot. Oh, it looks a so good. It. It's a very delicious recipe and very Mediterranean. That did, would be did you make that for example. Tanner? Would Tanner Mangum eat that? I think Tanner Mangum would eat that. Tanner eats anything. My kid is not picky. How could you not eat everything that you served? Like, um, I mean, really, that looks, it almost looks like a sushi roll, but crunchy. Yes, but it's baked. Uh And it only bakes in less than 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, really. And so you've got a quick, um, very healthy meal right there. Um, And then there's lots of other recipes over the years, um, food blogging for the last three years, Really, the Mediterranean diet has guided so much of what I try to push on the blog. It doesn't mean that we can't have our sweets now and then. Yeah. And and there's a few, um, some very very delicious things on my blog. In fact, let's let, let's come yeah. back. I want to hear I want to hear <laughs> the sweets, and that's what I love about your work because you you do make good sweets, and every time we talk, you. 
you always have some sweet as well. You got to. You got to. You got to have a little benefit for living, right? We'll take a break. More with Karen Mangum when we come back. Go check out her website, InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. The, uh, the mother, Mangum, the, the, the queen of it all. The, really, the most important Mangum on earth. She'd hate to hear that, but it's so true. Stick with us. We'll be back helping you live longer. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Karen Mangum. Uh, she's the the author of the website InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. Also, um, a, she's a nutritionist, a seasoned recipe developer, food blogger, a consultant, and a mother of some quarterback that plays for BYU. Karen, welcome back. Thank you. Most powerful woman in the Mangumville. <laughs> um, so, Karen, I you know what we we're obviously hungry because we've been going through your site, and this I'm sure isn't part of the Mediterranean diet, but the Gouda apple bacon grilled cheese. Are you kidding okay. me? Yeah, those are pretty good. But you know, when you think about it, Gouda is a delicious uh, cheese from the Mediterranean. Yeah, the, so and, we make it uh, makes it. We just added a little, and I put sliced apples Mm -hmm. in there as well, Um, and then just added a couple slices of bacon, and I used center cut bacon, which is a little bit meatier, and so there is a way to reduce some of the fat in this, and then you just, um, you can spread the outside with a little bit of olive oil, which is really one of the most wonderful aspects of the, is really striking element of the Mediterranean diet, and then I use a sourdough, whole wheat, cracked wheat, sourdough bread. So there's a lot of great health benefits to that grilled cheese. And um, actually, in reality, it does fit into the Mediterranean diet. I guess that's the key is, I mean, we just need the components and you just have to Mm -hmm. find a creative way to put the components together. And now you're living the Mediterranean diet. And now you're living the Mediterranean. Honestly, most of us probably do without thinking about it um, as far as particularly if you're adding fruits and vegetables to every meal. So think about it. In terms of your plate, you would be best to have just like a quarter of your plate be your protein. I think we're so focused on oh, that these days that yeah. we tend to like want to make plate. that a little bit bigger. Right. And so just a quarter of your plate, probably three, four ounces um, for uh, women, maybe four to six ounces for men. And then uh, probably half your plate should be uh, fruits and vegetables, primarily vegetables, rich in color high in antioxidants and that salads and uh, steamed vegetables and try to limit the sauces if you can. Um, and then a quarter of the plate, the other quarter would be a, a good, healthy whole grain. Um, so, you know, when you go to places like Olive Garden where they fill probably half the plate with grain oh. and then you eat the breadstick, yeah. and all of a sudden you've had way too many carbohydrates. That's not Italian. That's American Italian. Italian. Yeah. That's and, like Mar- American mafia Italian. It's that yeah, bad. Yeah, exactly. It'll kill it's you. Kind of, yeah, it is. It will. And if we do that more often than not. So that's not Italian. I think a lot of us think that that is, but that is not Mediterranean. Um, really, the Mediterranean diet is a real focus on, <clears throat> less focus on um, the volume of grains versus um, all the fruits and vegetables. 
Is it true um, that the um, – because one of the things I'm seeing in the Mediterranean diet, I mean, and there are a lot of, it seems like at restaurants, salads that would fit the Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it comes down to the dressing as well. So right. what would be a healthier right. choice for dressing instead of the big, creamy, rich, my favorite, yeah. blue cheese? What, blue what would be a better right dressing? Yeah. Uh, the better dressing really is just straight olive oil if you wanted to add a splash of vinegar and then some salt and pepper. Honestly, that seems so basic, but it is. Um, my son actually lived in Italy for a couple of years. Yeah. And he came home, and he just splash, he does that on his salads. And with uh, and also he just does the olive oil and salt, and that's what he puts on his huh. salads. And I, I really... Uh, admire that. So in all my dressings on the food blog, I use olive oil or um, or, a, or a sunflower, some type of a nut oil, walnut, avocado oil. Those type of oils are wonderful. Cut that with a balsamic vinegar or a lemon juice and then herbs, lots of garlic and uh, herb de Provence or uh, oregano, hmm. basil. Those make delicious salad dressings. So making one at home is even better because you can really control the ingredients. Well, and if, if a boy can go live in Italy uh, for two years and create a habit of eating a salad with just oil and salt as the dressing mm-hmm. and, and give up ranch, mm-hmm. because every yeah. kid leaves with ranch, maybe not at your house, <laughs> but our kid leaves only knowing ranch, then it tells us that anyone can make a habit about this. Oh, absolutely. And if you start early, like if this is something that you want to integrate into your family, you start just throwing that in there as an option now and then, because, you know, kids are going to gravitate toward the things that they know and are exposed to over and over and over. And that's how you teach good habits. Um, yeah. That's a whole nother discussion about children's eating. Yeah, let's but, do that. In fact, um, let's do that next time, because that is, it's so hard to get them to eat healthy, yeah. you know. Um, right. Before we go, though, I want you to teach us um, what would be a really, what would be a nice treat, a nice sweet, something that we could eat that would meet the Mediterranean diet? Mm, that's a tough one. Let's that's hard. See. Um, well, the Mediterranean, you know, again, allows for any kind of sweet occasionally. So if you wanted to pick one of um, my favorites are those little chocolate, oh, what is it called? They're little chocolate brownie cups. And you put, you make a little brownie cookie and you press them into a little mini, uh, mini muffin cup tin. Mm-hmm. And then you fill that either with a little bit of um, ice cream or a little chocolate frosting. And because they're portion controlled, you're going to enjoy a smaller amount, but enjoy, you know, maximum yeah. taste. And you could put so, that, I guess, I in the freezer, make- huh? And pull it out and those eat them are, as you go. Yeah. I have to admit, those are some of my favorites. I love those. Is that what you sneak, Karen? <laughs> now and then. <laughs> yeah, good. now and then. That's good living. Good living. Well, we it appreciate you. good living. I mean, and, and, you're, you. and it's healthy living really is what it is. And um, again, if, if, if you want just to have a really fun little journey, go check out this website with Karen, Inside Karen's Kitchen, because again, I'm not a foodie. But I think I've pretty much hit, you know, her first 20 or 30, 20 recipes and I'm addicted. And and honestly, it's satisfying to just see, oh, that looks so good. So good. So Karen Mangums, uh, she'll be she'll be joining us every month, giving us new insight, new health. You can find her at InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. And again, she's the one that uh, she done raised that one quarterback guy, Tanner. 
She's the one that taught him how to throw the long ball, how to how to throw that game-winning touchdown. It's all about the moms, folks. Let's be real. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We're wrapping it up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Did you miss yesterday's Matt Townsend show? How about the most recent news topics on Top of Mind? Well, don't worry. With the BYU Radio app, you can access yesterday's shows today. Catch up on what you might have missed. Download the BYU Radio app, available on iOS, Android, and Amazon mobile devices. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, folks. A little music from the 70s. What better way to describe our next guest, Spencer Linton from BYU Sports Nation. He's uh, handling it all by himself today like a big boy. Hello, young Spencer. Ah, hello, Matthew. I'm having glorious visions of Love Boat reruns (laughs) as well as Chips. Don't you love it? This is the Chips music when you're driving down the freeway, just letting the wind blow in your face. Have Mm. you seen uh, Planes Fire and Rescue? No. Okay, so it was the second in the series from Disney, Pixar, and I mean, Planes wasn't very good. Planes, Fire, and Rescue was much better, <laughs> but they did a throwback scene to Chips in the 80s, but they, they called it Chops because there were two <laughs> choppers. Yeah, oh, yeah. my goodness. It, same music, same concept. It's hot. Super funny. Oh, yeah. Really oh, funny. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it brings back memories. Hey, we just had uh, uh, Karen Mangum on the show. Karen Mangum is a wonderful human being and an incredible cook. Is she really? Yeah, that's what she's. She has a blog, and it's called Inside Karen's Kitchen. And she's now our contributor on diet she's and been, health. She's been holding out on me. I know, totally. You need to ask her because mm. it is it's heavenly, and we've decided that it's the reason Tanner does as well as he does. It's simply because of his mother. It has nothing to do with him. <laughs> we decided that today. It's all about the food. Yeah, run it by him. Ask There's him. a reason that his, like their posterity, Karen and, uh, um, oh gosh. Brother Mangum. Well, no, I I'm, can't remember his first name. I know him. Michael. Thank Michael. You. Yes. So Karen and Michael have like crazy posterity athletic-wise. Yeah. Um, their daughter is not coming to BYU to play basketball. She oh, man. was just in the state championship game in Idaho. Tanner, obviously the quarterback here. Madison was an outstanding receiver at Idaho State. And Parker was a quarterback at yeah. BYU. Unbelievable. What in the world? It's crazy. It's anyway. good genes. It's oh. good genes and great, great meals. Hey, what do you hear? What do you think about Tom Brady? Apparently, uh, the Kraft, the, the owner, says he could easily go six or seven more years. Do you think that's true? If Tom Brady wants to and because he plays for the Patriots and they can structure it the way they want to. Absolutely, I believe that can happen. They are the San Antonio Spurs of the NFL. That's like true. Tim Duncan played forever, right? Yeah. Manu Ginobili still playing. Tony Parker still playing. Because they manage those guys really well. And like, he doesn't the, seem to get hit. Does he ever no, get hit? No, he's always playing behind one of the best offensive lines in the right. game. That's all and it he, takes. And when he does get hit, he generally knows how to take a hit. Yeah. He doesn't let himself. He doesn't like, put himself out yeah, there. Exactly. You, you you made a point. So I guess it's if because they'd have to structure the deal. So he might over time have to give up a little money to get a better line or whatever. 
Oh, if he wants to play football, he, he are you kidding me? He has so much money. But wouldn't that this is I mean, six more years would make his record so permanent it would never be yes ever. Like we're talking about John Stockton's career assist and steals record never going to be broken for Tom Brady in the NFL. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like that level, Holy it's cow. never going to be broken. Yeah. Did um, I mean it's it seems obvious that I should ask, but. Jerem, uh, was he arrested or? No. Uh, so we're hosting the Y Awards tonight. Why? That's a good question because we're doing it for the third year in a row, which okay. prompted the question like, can you not find anybody better than <laughs> us? And apparently the answer is no. No. So we are back again, like Taysom Hill. This again. is great. Yeah. And Jerem had to go review a spot um, that's going to be pretty funny tonight. It is uh, a text conversation that we have. Gained access to between Ooh. the head coaches of BYU. Oh wow! Yeah. So it's, this is kind of a scoop, and you're you'll be announcing uh-huh. it at the Y Awards. Uh huh. Interesting. Is this? Are you guys? Do you? Is this like Ellen DeGeneres? Are you going to have like a selfie taken? Are you going to do stuff like that? <laughs> hey, we're not going to give much away. Okay. I probably already said too much, but I will tell you this. Here comes Jerem. Shh. Okay. I won't say anything about him. Is there a tour bus coming through? He's got a cobalt blue tuxedo. That should make anybody in the area want to show up just for that. <laughs> well, yeah. Does he have ruffles? Is <laughs> no, it... no ruffles. Oh, so no it's... ruffles, but Cobalt very, blue. very blue. Cobalt blue tuxedo. It sounds. It's free and open to the public. So if anybody is in the Provo area and you like BYU sports and you feel like laughing and enjoying, come sports with us. Where do they? Where are you hosting this? Merritt where... Center. Oh my heavens! Yeah. So it's free. Everybody out there in listener open to the public. show up and you'll get a you'll get a glimpse of the cobalt blue suit. Tux. Oh, you, you can see it from three nautical miles away. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I hear planes are like starting to circle. <laughs> they thought it was a, a beacon. Sir, sir, we've located the infiltrator. <laughs> exactly. He's wearing a he's wearing a cobalt blue tuxedo. <laughs> oh yeah, that's very blue. We're, we we looked up exactly what cobalt looks like. Yeah, it's stunning. Heat signal is off the charts, sir. Hey, really quickly on this, uh, I may buy a cobalt blue car. Cobalt? Yeah. Would you Would you ever buy a cobalt blue car? Well, I own a blue car. Mine is cobalt blue, but it's like that direction. Yeah, it's cobalty. What's the What's the word they use? Pantone number is it, Spencer? I don't know. I think they call it like like midnight steel or something Ooh, that, well, <laughs> holy cow isn't that your dancing name <laughs> your I look yeah i'm looking it up right now midnight steel. <laughs> that's so good that is so spencer linton uh, <laughs> jerem what's your dancing number or your dancing name my dancing name yeah aren't you guys dancing tonight too Luckily not. Hey, um, no talk about your show. What's coming up on the big show today? Let's talk about good. You know, tonight's a Y Award, so we ask the question: what, what was your favorite moment in the past year in BYU sports? Oh, cool. So use the hashtag BYUSN weigh in on that. Dave Rose will join us on the show, men's basketball coach. Yes. Uh, we'll talk to him about the off season. He talked a lot about change. You know, in the after the uh, last game of the season, we'll ask him if he started to kind of figure the direction of said changes. Uh, his thoughts on Eric Mika declaring for the NBA draft. Ooh. Are you going to ask him Eric Gonzaga? Are you going to ask him about that? The Zags? Huh? We'll ask him about Gonzaga being in the Final Four. There you go. Absolutely. That's okay. a great idea. I'm just throwing him out there. Yeah. Uh, then we'll play a little Big Deal, No Deal. And then uh, the gymnastics coach, Guard Young, they're in the NCAA Regionals this weekend. He will join us coming up as well. Awesome. Okay, so you ready for the official color? Yeah, what's the official color? It's Montego Blue. <laughs>
It's like Montego, Montego Bay. Montego wow. Blue Metallic. Ooh, it sounds so exotic. <laughs> Montego Blue. Yeah. They call me Montego Blue. That's good. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it then. I'm going to buy the car. You killed my muffler. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> Guys, have a great show and have a great uh, hosting of the Y Awards tonight. Hey, Open to everybody. Marriott Center, what time? 7.30. 7.30. Be there. Mount, mountain. Mount, mountain time and bring your eye goggles, eyewear, just so that the blue, blue cobalt goggles. doesn't, you know. Yeah. 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 Bring your You'd like to see goggles. the rare cobalt blue tuxedo. <laughs> Montego Eclipse blue. at 7.30. You guys are hot. That's going to yeah. be awesome. Good stuff, gentlemen. Knock them dead. Kill it. Boy, they have, they have the fun, you know. It's... Someday, they're going to ask us. They did ask me to host something on campus. These guys host the Y Awards. I, uh, I went and hosted a, a little uh, get-together of the librarians, uh, all of the staff at the, at the library here at BYU campus. And I kind of hosted that. Why? Why what? Why awards? You're going to watch them tonight? <laughs> this is like a bad knock-knock joke. You know what I'm going to be doing tonight? What? I am going to be making an appearance on a 100th episode of a podcast, a pop culture podcast. Really? That gets about 20,000 downloads a month. Are you kidding? Because I uh, won a preliminary pop culture quiz to appear on the show and go head to head against the hosts of the show. How fun for you. So I've got to drive up all the way to Salt Lake. And and try to take him down. Okay, so when is that? This is tonight. Tonight. So tomorrow we can report on this. Yes. Let's do it for sure because you are the guru of pop culture. In fact, we're finding a way to let you do more pop culture on the show. Although I'm more versed in movies. In the preliminary quiz, there were some CW yeah. and WB Convent- TV yeah, shows yeah. that I really yeah. am not into. You weren't into. A hip on the TV stuff. Right. Um, but I still did rather well, I think, obviously, because I'm one of the three that got invited to be on the show. Well, and you're related, aren't you? To, oh, I see what you did there. No. Um, the I, I wish you the best of luck. You will be fantastic. Thank you. You and between you and Terry, we pretty much have a lot of really unnecessary facts mastered. We are the terrible triumvirate. <laughs> But terrible in you know in, the in positive, like, like the positive, incredible, like, yeah. like fiercely incredible, yeah. yeah, terrible, terrible. Hey, a Florida man, you know, we try to help you handle your family relationships better, but a Florida man throws an axe at his father. Listen to this: Florida Keys man was arrested after he threw an axe at his dad, injuring his wrist. Monroe County Sheriff's Office spokesperson Becky Heron said Austin Odom, 26, faces charges of aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. Odom's 47-year-old father told deputies that he asked his son for some money to buy food, which made Odom angry. He said Odom then slapped a $100 bill onto the counter, grabbed an axe, and chopped the bill in half. That's scary. He'd rather destroy it than give it to his own dad. Yeah. Heron said Odom then threw the axe at his father, who ducked and put his hands up to protect himself. Ouch. A witness heard Odom's father screaming for help and saw him holding his wrist. The witness confronted Odom and persuaded him to hand over the axe, which he did. And, uh, you know, now he's in jail. Families. Families. (sighs) 
Luckily, you don't have that problem, right? Uh, rescuers, here's our hero story of the day. Rescuers helped five-year-old to stop a boat after adults uh, and toddler were thrown overboard. On his first day at Ocean Eco Ventures, whale watching, Gary Sutton and several co-workers went on a spontaneous outing hearing about orcas uh, near Cowichan Bay. On their way back to the marina on Thursday, they saw a boat doing um, doing circles at full speed. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Rescuers had to shout to a girl in the boat to pull the red cord, the kill cord, and which brought the boat to a stop. The captain and his colleagues then jumped into full rescue mode after they spotted three people in the water. The family later told them the accident happened when one of the men bumped the throttle by mistake. And this young girl had to pull the cord, pull the red cord. Five-year-old girl on board did it and... Uh, the aluminum boat to stop doing its donuts in the water and everyone was saved. So they stepped in, saved a, a young girl as well as uh, everyone floating in the water as well. Man, everything can change in a second, can it? That's why we're so dependent on each other. And yet we always seem to have all these fights around the world. And in reality, we're all really fighting for the same race, the human race. We'll be back tomorrow, my friends. That's the show, the Matt Townsend Show. Come find us early, uh, 9 to noon Eastern time, right here on, the, uh, on BYU Radio. Until then, take care of each other and make it a great one. KBYU FM.